Hello, everybody, and welcome to another edition of Tunnel Vision, a show brought to you by USCFootball.com. I'm Rose Kilior, joined by Ryan Abraham and the man, the myth, the legend, Gerard Martinez. We got him in studio, and you know what that means. That means recruiting is right around the corner. Early signing period starts this Wednesday, so of course we had to get Gerard in studio. We got to get the latest scoop and news, uh, especially because USC is coming off of an important uh, weekend of official visits. Uh, Justin Flo was there, the five-star, so we'll get all the scoop on that. Gerard has been working behind the scenes before we even went live, just working hard like he does. Uh, you can also call and talk to him, 5124-TUNNEL. We'll, we're taking live calls. You can also tweet at us, hashtag TunnelVision. We'll put your tweet up on the screen, and then wherever you're watching, like normal, Facebook, Periscope, or YouTube, put your comments, questions, concerns, and we will be sure to answer them but guys like i said it's coming down the pipeline usc's early signing period uh we've talked about it ad nauseum on the show it's not looking good as far as right now for usc in the recre- uh, recruiting rankings right now they're 80th in the nation not good but things could change the class always evolves um first up let's talk about this important weekend of official visits also unofficial visits for juniors as well gerard what's the latest what do you where do you want to start probably with official visits okay uh, one Big official visit still going on right now. Just tweeted out a picture of Justin Flo, five-star linebacker out of Upland High School. Uh, a guy that USC is all in right now for. Full court press at the basketball game. Yes. And nice. Kinda, nice one. Kind of works. Wow. Uh, actually was there with Gary Bryant Jr., who's taken an unofficial visit to USC. And they took a picture with the president. Carol Fultz. Yes. Very interesting. Very interesting uh, Twitter responses to that photo. But, uh, you know, Justin's actually kind of getting a little more one-on-one time. Uh, He came in a little later Friday night. He had an in-home visit with Oregon Friday. And you saw a bunch of crystal balls come in for Oregon Friday. Yes. We heard a lot of different things about Clemson. Now, Clemson was the school that everybody had predicted Justin Flo to go to for most of the year. And so... Clemson went out and offered a scholarship to a North Carolina five-star um, uh, linebacker, uh, Trenton Simpson, I believe is his name. Uh, not a guy that USC's ever been involved with, uh, but they get that five-star linebacker committed. He, he offered and almost commits right on the spot, and everybody immediately assumes, oh, gosh, this is Justin Flo. Justin Flo is, is out. You know, they're getting nervous for Justin Flo, and that's an easy assumption. So I started doing some digging because it's easy to think that, but that's not necessarily the case. But I talked to some people on the East Coast and, and talked to them about Flo specifically, and, and it turns out that there is some connection there, that, that Clemson definitely got nervous after their in-home visit, Felt like Flo brought up some concerns about being out there that far away from home. Uh, certainly, I think just the location, how rural Clemson was. Yeah, it's they, not not a big city school. Or not anything. a big city school at, at all. And even for for folks on the East Coast that live in South Carolina, North Carolina, Clemson, I guess, is a little out of the way. Yeah, and, and so Flo had sort of brought some things up, and I think he had maybe reiterated some of that to some of the other commits. Uh, that are committed within the class, and you saw Clemson act pretty decisively and, and offer another linebacker. So it sounds like Clemson, from everything I'm hearing, is off the table. Clemson's not going to be the school that Justin Flo signs with. At least that's, again, what we're hearing from everybody on that side of the United States. And so it kind of comes down right now to Oregon and USC. Oregon obviously comes in with that uh, that un- or excuse me that in-home visit Friday 
And a lot of people felt like, okay, if it's not going to be Clemson, it's going to be Oregon. It can't be USC, right? Well, we'll pr- maybe we'll get into more of this. I'm sure there's going to be a lot of questions, but sure. USC's got a real fighting chance right now on Justin Flo. So he's the the, the big name that's that's officially visiting right now for USC. Uh, they also got another linebacker on campus uh, committed to Cal, the brother of Jordan Iosefa, and that's Moalo. Iosefa. And Moala Iosefa is, is taking official visits uh, to Oregon as well and been to Cal. And it's going to be interesting to see sort of what USC does with him because obviously with Jordan there, you would think, and I thought, you know, early in the process that he was going to be in with USC. They sure. offered him a scholarship and then he turned around, boom, commits to Cal. So that's that's an interesting, got to get a little more information on that. He says he's still solid to Cal, said that before going in to his official visit to USC, uh, coming away from his official visit to Oregon in November. Uh, but that's another interesting name that USC's uh, messing around with and, and took an official visit this weekend. You also had Reagan Terry, who's a defensive end commit, three-star, uh, 6'3", 6'3 230-pound uh, from uh, from Florence, Arizona, who's committed to Arizona, and this is an interesting so one. Another two two official visitors that are committed to other schools in the Pac-12. Two, yeah. School, yeah, I mean the USC <clears throat> only had two guys that were not committed at the at this point that were on their official visits. Um, but with Terry, I, I, that's that's an interesting one. They just offered him a scholarship last week, so we're kind of trying to figure out: is this a Plan B? Is this something that USC's just sort of got on the back burner to see if, you know, somebody else doesn't work out. Um, Draper, Utah, four-star defensive end. Xavier Carlton was a guy that was supposed to be on campus for USC. He actually made plans to officially visit USC, and then we also heard he was going to go to Washington. He didn't visit either. So it looks oh. like he is going to be one of those kids, maybe one of the minorities, that ends up going and signing in February. Yeah. So he's not probably going to be an early signing guy. So he didn't make the trip. Um, so, you know, Reagan Terry does. Maybe there's something there we're trying to figure out if there's a connection there again you don't like to assume uh one of the other unofficial or official visitors that was uncommitted coming into this weekend was dwight mcglutherin who's a 6'2 180 pound defensive back from texas from the houston area uh came out here during the adidas regional passing tournament and he was a guy that looked really good um surprised he's just a three star still you know i mean don't get to see him live because he's out in texas yeah. uh, plays for client oak high school and uh but a guy that's got a lot of length and and talked a lot about how he loves the city he loves southern california um you know he had not been here very much and he was just really enjoying it when he was out here uh during that that march tournament and so he's a kid that said you know i really want to go out and see usc i love usc and he's been out here so we're going to see how that goes i think chris trevino actually just got him on the phone uh, earlier tonight so we should have an update on him, and we'll see if he's going to be a guy that's going to be an early signing or if he's going to wait. Uh, and then USC also had their commits that were coming into the visit, Josh Jackson, wide receiver from Narbonne, and uh, Jamar Sakona, the defensive tackle from Marion Catholic up there in uh, Green Bay, uh, California. So both of those guys made the trip. So it wasn't a huge weekend for USC outside the fact that you got Justin Flo on campus. Yeah. And they also had a bunch of juniors that we can get into that also uh, took unofficial visits Sunday. So kind of an interesting thing, getting some juniors in there and also uh, you know entertaining Justin Flo at the basketball game along with Gary Bryant and maybe a couple other guys. So just real quick, if you're not a recruit, Nick, if you don't follow Live and Die with Recruiting, just a quick update of what's going on. Things have changed over the last few years. It used to be the first Wednesday in February was National Letter of Intent Day. That's when all the first day – 
all these players could sign. A few years back, they moved it, so they put an early signing period. It's the third Wednesday in December. I believe it's the third Wednesday in December. And this year, it's December 18th. Yes. And so there's a three-day period where players can sign early. It's become the de facto signing day. So that's when 90% of the players are signing early now. I'm not a huge fan of this because you've got bowl practice and everything going on. It yeah. just seems to... Take finals, away from finals, ball practice. I, I think they need to adjust this at some point. If you have like an early signing period in, in August or something where some people sign, that's fine. And then you just, everyone else waits. I think that would be better. But as of right now, this is a huge day because 90%, like we said, 90% of the players are going to sign early. USC sort of got a late start on this recruiting class because of all the turmoil, because of the five and seven and uncertainty about Clay Helton's uh, status as the head coach. Now you know that he's going to be the head coach going forward. And so they're making a full court press trying to get as many of these players committed. Uh, right now they're ranked, like Keeley said, 80th in the country in the 24-7 sport team rankings. But they're 11th, Ryan. They're 11th in the Pac-10. You the... can't tweet anymore about how they're Pac last 12. in the Pac-12. 11th in the Pac-10. Pac-12, excuse me. 11th in the Pac-10. 11th in the, the Pac-10. <laughs> yeah, that would, be, that would be worse. Uh, they are .01 ahead of Utah for some reason. Someone got re-ranked and they're just it, – they're. But it will be better. It's going to move up. How far does USC move up? Last year's class was the worst in USC history in the internet era since we started. I started doing this in 96, never seen a class worse. It was number 20. That's the worst USC's ever done. This one's 80. So is it going to get above 20? No. It, could it get to the top 25? Like it potentially could. Yes. Um, you need a guy like Justin Flo, who's a five-star, to come in there and boost the rankings. If not... It, you know, it could be rough. So we'll see. Um, this is definitely, and it's a smaller class, to be fair. It's a smaller class. Yeah, so 17, not... 18 commits, probably the most. Obviously, when we get on the other side of this signing day into January, we'll have a little better idea of any early draft entries. You know, yeah. their medicals and things kind of shake out. So you know, it's a possibility you could get 18, 19. I mean, it, not out of the realm of possibility, but that's kind of what we're looking at right now. So they don't have a lot of room. Yeah. It's not like they're going to make this big surge to 25 where they're going to just get a bunch of guys and it's going to be a better class just because of the quantity of players. Unless have. a whole bunch of people transfer into the transfer portal, porthole, though. Um, <laughs> but so just to be fair, like, yes, if you don't have as many recruits, so if you only – right now there's only 10 committed – say USC signs 17 or 18, usually that's going to be ranked a little bit lower than someone that signs a, a class of 25, especially if it's even as, you know, as far as the, the average stars. But keep in mind, back in 2013, Lane Kiffin signed a 12-person class, and it was still ranked in the top. It was like number 13 in the country. So it can be done with a very small class, but you need the quality. USC right now doesn't have the quality. Only No players in the, the California top 25 have currently committed uh, officially to USC. So that's where the issue's been. USC typically, on uh, the top 25 players in California, I mean, getting 10 of them is not, I mean, that happens a lot. I mean, we've seen them get more than that. Um, you know, bad year, you might get five out of the top 25. Uh, right now, there's none. So that's that's the big issue right now. Debbie Upper, Debbie Downer. No, I'm trying. I'm trying to give both sides of it. We're, I know we're we're going to be yin and yang. We're going to. Oh, I, I'm gonna... not trying to be negative on this. I'm just just giving everyone. Not a, trying know, to be. Just are. I'm well, giving you facts about what's going on. But if you're just joining us, this is Gerard Martinez. This He's, is me. I am here. He's a senior recruiting analyst for our site. He's the GOAT when it comes to recruiting, maybe just all things. Um, but Gerard, something that we talked about uh, in general... <laughs> I'm hyping you up over here. Uh, 
one of the things we've talked about is uh, in return in regards to recruiting, when it came to the indecision that USC had, those 11 days when they were waiting, it didn't really do any favors recruiting-wise because it helps either way. If you know there's a new coach coming in, if you know Clay Helton's staying. But now that Clay Helton's staying, what has been the word with recruits? I know you always talk about how in recruiting, Clay Helton does really well. Parents love him. Recruits love him. They speak highly of him. What does it mean now to recruits that he's coming back? It's one less question that the coaching staff has to answer. That's a big deal. Yeah. Uh, now they know who the head coach is going to be. And like you said, I've never actually had parents or recruits say, we don't like Clay Helton. We sat down with him, had a one-on-one meeting, came away feeling like we just didn't like him. We didn't trust him. We didn't feel like he had the best interests of our son at heart. So I think that in and of itself always works well for USC. I think that anytime that you get him on a one-on-one situation, it's always sort of sort of worked in USC's favor. It's really the instability, uh, the point of lack of development that other schools point out. Uh, there's a lot of stuff when you're not a winning program and you're not winning and going to the expectations in which you know USC fans have, and a lot of people have of USC. They look at USC as a blue blood program. They look at it as a program that should be a national championship contender. So when you don't get to that, everybody has a narrative. And certainly the other schools that are recruiting against USC have a narrative. And so they're having to fight that still. That's not going away. But when you at least have that one question of, okay, who's going to be the head coach? Who? What's the coaching staff going to be like? Because that's another thing that a lot of people have talked about. And when Clay Helton was retained, there was sort of this, and by the way, he's going to have a lot of changes with his coaching staff. And I said this on the podcast, and I'm going to say it again. I don't think that should that's assumed. I, I think that's a little bit of a people sort of thinking, okay, they brought him back, but they're going to give him this ultimatum of, yeah, you have to fire all these different coaches. I don't know that that's true. They did it last year. I don't know if you were, can you really do it twice in a row and have it be effective? I don't know. Yeah, they they, they kind of did it last year. I mean, well, they, they yeah, made some changes. They right? made some changes and and one, you know, it was an interesting dynamic, the changes, because you had BKU, you had Kenichi Odizi, who was butting heads with Clancy Pendergast. So that was Clancy Pendergast, I think, his call as much as anything to say, hey, I want to get a guy in here that just does what I say and doesn't have his own ideas of how he wants to coach, whether he wants to be on the field or be in the press box or any of that kind of stuff. And then you had Ronnie Bradford, who was the defensive backs coach, which I think that was the one where – that kind of was forced on Clay. That was Clancy's guy. Yeah. yeah, that was Clancy's guy, and I think that that decision was forced on Clay. With Neil Calloway, that wasn't really necessarily a coaching decision from what we heard. There was some personal stuff that went on in the background, and I think it was one of those sort of H&R type things where they had to fire him. And I'm not going to get into the details about that whole thing, but it wasn't necessarily just because he was a bad coach or they felt like he wasn't doing the job in the offensive line. He's Obviously, someone very close to Clay Helton. I mean, he's like his an dad. uncle to him. Yeah. He's like his dad's best friend. Mm -hmm. um, and so, yeah, I, I mean, I think we, we were critical of the offensive line. We felt like they should have made a move. But I don't necessarily know that's why they made that move. So when you fast forward to this year – yeah, everybody's saying, okay, they're going to get rid of John Baxter. They're going to get rid of Clancy Pendergast. Uh, maybe. Maybe. I, I mean, it's a possibility. I could see them making moves, but I don't and, necessarily think it's would, guaranteed. Yeah, the moves would happen, looks like, after the ball game, if anything. For sure. I think, I think, you know, Clay well, yeah, Helton, for sure. for, you know, lesson learned or whatever, it didn't work out so well. The last time he went to the Holiday Bowl yeah. uh, and fired a bunch of guys, and you had guys like Kenichi Daisy who were in the strength coach staff, and then they get promoted uh, you had GAs, you know, doing regular coaching jobs and stuff. So I, my guess would be, and this, this is another issue with the early signing period because of, 
it's a time when you really can fire coaches or hire new coaches. And do you really want to do that? While you know, so players sign with a coach and then they get fired a week later. It's I, I just don't Some like the timing. Some have it done it. You know, they oh, have yeah. made those moves. Texas has made some moves. It's, you make them early. So if you make them early, then at least the recruits that sign know, like, hey, I'm not going to be with this coach anymore. But, yeah. like, if you're – say you're Justin Flo and you sign with USC on Wednesday, and if Clancy Pendergast gets fired, you know, after the bowl game, then you're like, well, it, does that really affect – I don't know if, it, if that's a big reason why he would sign. But you're seeing that more now where, yeah, Tom, uh, Tom Herman – Got rid of their coordinators at, at Texas and is, you know, could potentially hire like a guy like Graham Harrell. Well, know? that's the thing. You get stuck in that limbo where you haven't actually hired anybody. ASU went and made some firings, but they turned around and got some quick hirings, which they did, yeah. is, is good. But at this point, it's probably a little too late still because, I mean, this is the last day and you're going to get this dead period. So as far as the early signing period goes, those guys probably don't have a huge impact on the early signing period. Yeah. So it is you're, you're playing with fire a little bit in terms of getting rid of coaches uh, in that point of like you've got two weeks of recruiting and you're going to try to make this quick turnaround. It's really better, I think, to make it during that dead period when you get into that, you know, after the early signing period into January. It's, it's to like January 9th or 10th already now because it's been pushed back to the national championship game. So you do have that time and that's where you got to be proactive and you got to make sure if you're going to make a change, that's the time to make it. Don't dick around until mid-January and and get yourself into some issues where, you know, people start to question, okay, what kind of defense am I going to play and what yeah. kind of offense am I going to play and et cetera. Because again, instability and uncertainty, I always say it, that is the death pill for, <laughs> uh, for, for, for recruiting. That is the, that's the thing that you just don't want to have in your program. Uh, it's it's bad, 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 bad. You got to have these kids that have a plan and they know what's coming and they know what they're getting into. Uh, we have a YouTube question from AKA Boone who said, "Which recruits lost immediate interest in re uh, because USC retained Helton? Did that have an impact on recruiting?" Oh, interesting question. <sighs> that lost immediate interest in or USC, or if any gained interest with the USC retaining Helton, either or. I I think, well, I know that it helped them with Bryce Young. Um, just in terms of he had a great relationship with Clay Helton. He was committed to USC when Clay Helton was there. And that was something that, you know, USC is still trying with Bryce Young and they're still, you know, trying to, to, to make a move with him and they are looking for that 2020 quarterback. And so that helped them, you know, I mean, it, it, that, that I think is just something because they had that relationship for so long and, I think that's kind of the theme in terms of the kids that still like USC and it it's helped them uh, with uh, with with some of these kids, some of these top recruits. The one guy actually I would have said that it probably would have hurt them with would be Justin Flo. That would have been the one guy from what I had heard and the things that have been told to me in terms of his relationship with this coaching staff that that would have actually hurt them. But he's on campus and. A lot of optimism right now, you know, a lot of sources, at least around USC, and you have to take with a grain of salt because it's really more sources that are involved with the USC circles that we're hearing from uh, feel like they're going to have a really good shot at, at Justin Flo. So that, you know, it's hard. You, you, you hear all these things and you make all these assumptions and you think, oh, yeah, USC is going to be out on all these kids. Um, it, it didn't really happen like that. And of course, you know, they had a certain committed class and, uh, those guys are still committed. The guys that decommit, I think that was more USC moving away from them. Um, it was just one of those things that I think the season itself 
sort of put them in this position where everybody thought Clay Helton was going to be fired. And I think they just lost a lot of momentum and traction during the season recruiting and certainly during the summer recruiting because a lot of kids just assumed that was going to be happening and they didn't want to get into a situation where they didn't know who the head coach yeah. was going to be. That's I think that had a lot to do with Bryce Young decommitting. I, I, I mean, they, USC was not great at that point. They had lost that BYU game. But I think there was still, okay, yeah, he's probably going to be fired. You know, yeah. lose that BYU game, he's probably going to be fired. And I think that kind of was the final thing that just pushed him out of the class. If he would have known that USC, no matter what, we're going to bring back Clay Helton. If that that would have been something that they would have said, you know, they didn't have an AD, so they couldn't say that at that point. But if they would have said hypothetically at the beginning of the season, I don't want to flip USC fans out even earlier in the year, but if they would have come out and said, hey, doesn't matter what the what the record's going to be this season. We're going to bring back Clay. Uh, that would have they would have helped him a lot. They they would have actually been better off recruiting, and I think they would have been in a lot more battles. It was just the season just of attrition for recruiting because yeah. everybody thought he was going to be fired. It's going to be a new coaching staff, and really the only guy they could have brought in was going to be Urban Meyer that was going to be able to flip that quickly. And even with just you know two weeks, the way it happened, two weeks left as good as Urban Meyer was. I mean, goodness gracious, it would have been difficult to, to do much better probably than they're going to end up doing. Yeah. And it, real quick, I don't think the – correct me if I'm wrong, but I don't think when Clay Helton's announced that a, a bunch of recruits were going to drop off. Like basically all those people have dropped off already. Like yes. you said, it was yeah. – was, the damage was already done as far as like everyone assumed he was going to be gone or just we weren't really sure. So, um, yeah. I, I can tell I, you it definitely helped with Gary Bryant. That was a big deal because he loves that offense and, and he feels like he can – be a big time playmaker in that offense. They don't really have a receiver like Gary Bryant, you know, 5'11, 6 foot, 175 pounds. He's a smaller, faster, uh, really dynamic guy up the field. I mean, he's a deep threat that USC doesn't really have. I mean, they, they've got some really good big receivers and they've got a great possession guy in Amon Ross St. Brown, but they don't have a ton of guys that stretch the field. Yeah. And he's that guy. And he's also a huge dynamic player in special teams, which they need desperately. They just don't seem to have a guy, especially on punt returns, that they feel really comfortable with being uh, sure-handed and also a guy that's going to break a lot of plays. You've got Amon Ross St. Brown who gets out there a little bit, but he's a bit conservative, I think. I think a guy like Gary Bryant is more apt to be able to break one and take it to the house, and that's a dynamic that we haven't really seen with kick return too much. Now, you mentioned Graham Harrell. That's something that we heard rumblings about that he could leave for another spot. Uh, did that affect recruiting at all, recruits, and what's the latest you've heard on that Graham Harrell front? No, because it really wasn't a whole lot going on with it. You know, it was like a week there where people were saying, okay, Texas offered him something like six and a half million dollars for three years or whatever it was. Mm -hmm. Okay, he's gone. Of course he's gone. And and again, this is the sort of, oh, you know, USC fans, they just, they want to just pile on themselves sometimes. You know, they're at that, that point of depression where they just... Oh yeah, Graham Harrell's gone. Of course he's gone, and and you know what his you know and he's probably taking all the good coaches with him, and and he's going to burn. Slovis. Yeah, <laughs> Keaton Slovis is going to transfer now, and they're going to burn down McKay Center and everything, and it, it's sort of this you know like this, this the sky really is falling, and it was just really a few days there, and then boom, we started hearing nope, he's not going to Texas. I I can say I can say I made some good calls this year. That was one of them. I just didn't think the fit was there for Graham Harrell. I mean, there could have been other job openings that maybe, you know, he was interested in. Certainly head yeah. coaching jobs is, is, is something that's still He interviewed, I mean, for, for UTSA yeah. and for, for UNLV, UNLV and stuff, um, you know, and 
Texas isn't going to hire anyone probably till after their bowl game, and right. they're playing in the uh, the Alamo Bowl. So I'm not it, out of the woods yet on that prediction. It could but. still happen, <laughs> but I think that's if something happens, it's going to be later on. But that would be a huge blow because if you're talking about what in this coaching staff worked, uh, an offense that went from like in the 90s to top 10 uh, with Graham Harrell running the show, that was a big deal. And losing him, and I, I talked to some people around, they're like, there's not an obvious replacement. There was a good replacement for Cliff Kingsbury, and you had Graham Harrell. Yeah. I mean, you might be getting like a receivers coach for Mike Leach at Washington State, which that's what Graham Harrell was at one point, but then he was the offensive coordinator. There's not like some obvious air raid uh, replacement for him. So I think in USC did offer a new contract. Uh, we haven't heard if he signed it yet, but it's. Well, I think I've it's heard that he's coming back from a few sources now. So, you know, so you it's feel not, very confident he'll come it's back, not yeah. official, but I mean, it seems like he's telling recruits that. It seems like everybody yes. around the office feels that way. I think just with the Texas thing, the fit wasn't there. Tom Herman kind of wants to run his own thing. And, and he may say, hey, you know what? I realize now that I got to give up the reins. I've got to be more of a CEO. I've got to be more of a manager. But he sort of made his way up the food chain as a coach being an offensive guy. He's a scheme guy. And that's 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 fine. You know, there's just coaches that are scheme guys and there are those coaches that actually don't come from a scheme and they are a little bit more of just managers. Uh Edgeron's a good example of that. We're talking about CEO, little CEO there. Um but he I mean he was a coordinator, but he was a coordinator under Pete. He wasn't really Yeah, the he really wasn't ever a coordinator. Yeah. And and that's true of, of, of a lot of different coaches that they come through and they're just not scheme guys. I think with Herman he's a little bit more of a scheme guy and I think that it's tough because you have a lot of anonymity with Graham Harrell at USC because, you know, I mean, Her I mean, look at Helton's not necessarily really a scheme. He didn't come from a certain scheme and make his way as an offensive coordinator because he ran some certain scheme. He was an offensive coordinator under Lane Kiffin and Steve Sarkeesian, both offensive coaches. So we're talking about, you know, I think with Harold, the job, as much as the money, it's the job. And yes, like you said, you got Keaton Slovis there and you've got potentially some really nice, you know, quarterbacks there. I, I think that he feels pretty good. He may be able to make that jump to a head coaching job and it may be better than the mid-majors that he's looking at now if they're able to kind of put on a little bit of run and win 10 games next year and then maybe make a run after that with Keaton Slovis as a junior. Yeah. I'm going to jump back to Justin Flo just for a second because we also have a caller who's calling about him. But first off, when we started talking about Justin Flo, the comments kind of came in and, and people were wondering how much is, is Justin Flo's official visit out of courtesy and respect to USC's coaches and maybe like a, a, a Chris Hawkins who has recruited him well rather than genuine interest? Well, Chris Hawkins has just been a GA this past year. So, yes, he does have a relationship. Justin Flo originally started out – as a ground zero kid. So ground zero is seven on seven, excuse me, seven on seven team that plays out in the Inland Empire. And he started out with ground zero. So there's and Armand Hawkins, Chris Hawkins, dad runs that. Right, yeah. right. Yeah. So there's a bit of a relationship there, uh, a relationship, I guess, with USC in general. But I mean, he only showed up. I think the only unofficial visit he took the whole year was to the Oregon game. Uh, and, and USC got blasted. And so I don't really get that sense. I, I think if there's anything out of respect, I think it's more the family being very pro-USC. I mean, the, the, his dad and everybody in that family is very pro-USC. They really like USC. And I just think that they want to exhaust that option that is local because – 
they would really like to stay local. And that's true of so many of these kids. And I've said it before on the podcast, but they, they really want, they're begging USC to be an option, to be <laughs> a good option. Like, please just, we want to go to USC. Please just be competent. <laughs> please be competent. Please, you know, just, you know, develop us, get, get, get some guys in the NFL, do some things that we can sort of rally around and we can, you know, make this sort of like, you know, this dynasty again. They want to make that run again. So I, I think with Justin, I there's too much optimism right now just coming from the visit that it was a wink and a nod. And, hey, you know what? I'm going to give you guys a little dap and come to the visit and show everybody that you're still a, a relevant program nationally. There's more going on than that with this visit. So I would say that there's probably a little bit to that, but I think it's more really there's legitimate interest is, you know, could I stay home and play for USC? Start right away. Justin Houston's leaving. Uh, or excuse me, not Justin. John, John Houston. Houston's brother's Justin. Um, and and walk in there and, and you know, play, get that number 10 right away or maybe get that number 55 right away. Yeah. Which, coming from a USC family, that's a big deal for him. He's talked about that in the past, that number 55. And that's, you know, Palie Oteote was kind of sort of maybe a guy that was going to get that 55. It's still floating around out there. I don't think Palie has necessarily earned it. And so uh, Justin Flo could go in there and and, and he, it he knows Chris Claiborne Snipe. too, right? So they have a he knows Chris Claiborne. That's a whole other kind of topic. Of, you know that the, the fans are sort of pushing hard for Chris Claiborne to get on the staff. That's very complicated. I don't know if we want to get into that, but yeah. that's that's first of all, there's got to be a spot open for him to, to be on the staff, right. unless he's going to come in as a, a support guy. But if he's a support guy, then that causes issues with the associated prospect rule now, where you cannot come from a program that uh, that the school has recruited for two years before and two years after with any association from those recruits. So basically, what that is is that if you're coming from Calabasas, USC cannot recruit any of the kids that have been there for two years and then any of the kids two years going forward. Yeah. So that yeah. kind of, if he's going to be on the support staff, they would have to hire him a, as a full-time coach. Yeah. Now whatever. if you're full-time, that's a different story. Yeah. 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 All right. Let's go to our caller on the line. I believe it is about Justin Flo. Hello. You're live on tunnel vision. Hey guys. What's up? It's John from Glendora. Uh, yeah, I know Ryan, I know Ryan's going to roast me right now. He always does. <laughs> Sorry, uh, so I'll make a funny on that one. Ephra, you can roast me. I know I'm going to be right anyway. But Justin Flo will be in a Trojan uniform this year, wearing number 10, and starting at, at linebacker this season. He's that good. He's a USC kid, born and raised. He's going to be at USC this year. That's all I have to say. Boom. I'm not going to roast you for that. Like, Mike, drop on, Mike, drop on Ryan. What? <laughs> Dude, John I, don't, I should do. Prediction. I should do crystal ball. They're reading you. Re ball. See, they're reading your body language. No, I mean they're like. It seemed like Clemson was in, and now it's. It seems like it's a toss up between Oregon and USC. USC has a puncher's chance. So yeah, I don't. I'm not gonna. I wouldn't roast you for that. Come on. Any any thoughts on that, Gerard? It's a prediction, you know. It's it's. Uh, I mean, he's not wrong about. Um, and he'll play like if he if he commits, he'll play. He'll play yeah, right away. Yeah. He'll play right away. And but you know what everybody says is that he probably would play right away almost anywhere. You know, Clemson may be the one school where you could kind of question that because Clemson's had really good recruiting classes. Yeah. Maybe like a George or an Ellis. You know, there's there's some other schools where you go, yeah, there might be somebody there that's a junior or something that he's not going to just step in in front of. But, yeah, USC, Oregon, he's going to play right away. I don't know what Oregon's depth chart looks like, but with USC we know – uh, he's probably not going to be guaranteed playing time because no, no coach wants to guarantee playing time. That's obviously going to cause a lot of problems in your own locker room. But he's a guy that could step in right away just with 
the way things are set up. And yeah, he could grab that number 10 or like I said, end up, you know, maybe grabbing that 55 instead. I don't yeah. Know. Right. Um, someone in the comments who I didn't grab their name basically said, do you think with flow, it comes down to the battle of location? Like Oregon could be a compromise as far as closest, closer, closer to home. That's not USC. Yeah. Is it really about geographical location rather than the school itself? That's the interesting dynamic because as it was said to me, there was a lot of focus on Clemson being in this rural area and just not rural. being sort of, you know, uh, the feel of the West Coast. And I say, okay, well, Oregon's not necessarily the most hopping metropolis either. You know, it's kind of out of the way and, and it's not necessarily a big city. And I've heard that a lot from kids who officially visit Oregon. It's a little bit of culture shock. And that's sort of been the theme. So I'm, I'm thinking if you didn't like Clemson, because of the culture shock and you just felt like from a city standpoint, from a living lifestyle standpoint, you weren't going to necessarily vibe, then USC would just be the choice because there's just there's not a lot of schools. There's Miami and there's USC. Now, Miami was another school that did make his uh, his pick. And I guess there was a fake uh Twitter account that went up and said it was going to commit to Miami. Miami and it got uh, a lot of people thinking it was going to be Miami or something. I don't know. I, I guess I'm not. Someone put that on the Periscope too. Yeah. Uh, about Miami and stuff that kind out there. It was, it was like a, it was like a, a fake Twitter account that uh, said he was getting ready to go to Miami or something of that nature. But um, yeah. So, I mean, in terms of, you know, outside of football and, you know, the other, you know, however many days you're going to be, you know, off campus and, and doing things. Certainly, Oregon and USC are very different. They're very different schools. We got a quick one on Periscope. Uh, this is from Go Something TV. Any news on Alec Bryant? I know USC offered him recently. Uh, you know, Alec, <laughs> Alec, shout out to Chris Trevino for this one. Um, Chris was 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 talking with Alec and and you Alec. Tell him who. Tell him. Who I got to tell him who Chris Trevino is. No, no, no. <laughs> <laughs> Alec Bryant is a like a six three, two hundred forty pound defensive end from Texas. USC had offered him maybe two weeks ago, and it was interesting because Chris Trevino had reached out to him, and 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 Alec was like, you know, I love USC. I want to be a Trojan. I want to go and visit USC and blah blah blah. And I'd been hearing that yeah, it was USC wasn't going to bring him on a visit, and so it was kind of an interesting thing where. You, we're kind of going, you know, speaking of, you know, like fake Twitter accounts is like, is this a real, maybe you got like the wrong guy, Chris, like maybe you're getting, you're getting punked right now or something because this kid is not saying, jiving, what's going not with, jiving with what's going on. So for what I understand with Alec Bryant, it's not going to happen if he's going to be an early entrant. And I just don't, I mean, they brought in Reagan Terry. They could have brought in Alec Bryant. Like totally this, yeah, this weekend. weekend at official visit. Yeah, so yeah. that tells me everything I need to know about USC right. recruiting Alec Bryant at this point. I, I it's interesting they they did offer him a scholarship, but scholarship offers are not always necessarily an indication of recruiting interest. Uh, speaking of Chris Reno, Facebook says that he's watching right now. So hello, Chris. Thanks Hi, for Chris. watching. <laughs> we had Blair and Gula watching on Periscope too. So oh, shout out to Blair. Blair. Banglo. Blair wants to make an appearance on Tunnel Vision. I was told. So oh, he maybe. could talk soccer. <laughs> no soccer. Blair, yeah, we'd Blair's a Blair's a beast though. He's the he's the Mountain West guy that just kills it. Hawaii, Arizona, 
you know, Utah is he's he's amazing. He's awesome. We Actually, this might Shouts he might be Blair. yeah, he might be great to like recap this recruiting class, some of the guys. Yeah, so true. we could have him. Well, yeah, Blair, you have an uh, open Look invitation. That, Putting in a good word for you. I haven't got a coffee maker now, Blair. <laughs> Look at that. Thanks to one of our tunnel vision uh, listeners or watchers. Which I have to say, <laughs> I'm a little upset with because that was going to be my Christmas present to Ryan. It was to be a coffee maker. It was going to yep. be a Keurig. I was like, that's perfect. And then like literally the next week before I could get on Amazon. Hey, thanks to whoever got us a coffee maker. I go, oh my gosh. So back yeah. to the drawing board. It was pretty yeah. sweet. Well, Colin kind of initiated it. It's yeah. true. It's true. Um, we'll jump around to different uh, topics. We also have a lot of questions for you, Gerard. But first off, when it comes to the commits who are actually in this class, I know it's like 90 offensive linemen. What's your take on this, uh, this class that's committed right now? Well, that's part of the reason why it's not a highly rated class either. You yeah. don't have a ton of skill players and guys that are playmakers, which you would sort of gravitate around in terms of the class's identity. The class's identity is offensive linemen, and this is not a great year for offensive linemen. Uh, I think you know, there's like two guys in in the top 100 in state-wise that are four four stars. <laughs> it just locally in, in the state of California. So when you're building the class run offensive linemen and it's a class full of three-star offensive linemen, that in itself is already going to shift your ranking and sort of skew it a bit. So yeah. it, it, they have to get offensive linemen though. USC has to. It's a neat position. They whiffed on offensive linemen last year. It's something that we said even then it's going to come back to bite them. Like yeah. It's one of those things you cannot whiff when you've got a great class of local offensive linemen. You've got four or five guys locally that are four stars, five stars. Sean Ryan, a great example. Somebody asked me the other lose day. Lose one to UCLA. They don't recruit anybody and you lose a recruit to UCLA. That's bad. And that, and that was sort of why they got them, which I know you guys that listen to the podcast know that story. But it's one of those things where somebody asked me, like, who's going to be the left tackle for USC if Austin Jackson goes? And I go – Sean Ryan should be the left tackle for <laughs> USC. I mean, that's that's what you do. That's how you go about it. If you're a program that's got that stability and you're healthy, that's what you have to do. And they don't have those guys. So now you're talking about maybe a Max Martin. Uh, maybe you're talking about – or uh, Frank Martin, excuse me. Maybe you're talking about shifting over uh, Jalen McKenzie um, and, and doing something. Or maybe one of these freshmen. But you just don't really want to put a true freshman out yeah. there at left tackle. Um Speaking of those, wait, some our buddy Saman on Periscope wanted to know of those the committed offensive line recruits who has the highest ceiling. Do you think? Well, John, Jonah Monheim is kind of the guy that's the best of the group in terms of just watching his film. I mean he he's probably going to play inside and probably be a guard, but he is far and away this year has really put himself in a position where I felt like he's underrated. I, I think he's a guy that definitely had the ability to be a four star. He I think it was more because during the off season went to a couple camps, and he just looked like a guy. He just looked ordinary, didn't look great. But, you know, I mean, it's an offensive lineman, and really you want to see those guys in pads. And what we saw from his film, your, the senior film was a just a just a wrecker, man. Just a guy getting to the second level. Uh, being very physical. Very physical, very nasty. Like a Justin Dietrich, like what he was sort of? or Yes, not as technical as Justin Dietrich. Okay. Justin was really great coming out of high school because he was coached really well, and – I think you could see him, you know, at that center position because he really played center. A lot of kids don't come out of high school; they're not playing center. Centers are tend to be, you know, sort of like fullbacks. They're 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 developed into that position. Like, oh, I played left tackle in high school, Tobolomadon, but you're made into a center. With him, he played center from 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 yeah. kind of the jump. So he he really knew how to play center. With Jonah, he's just. I mean, he just really showed out well this year, man. He, he showed out that he could stay in front of uh, his, his defender. He can block downfield. Um, 
he he showed a lot more athleticism and just uh, agility than we saw. He just looked like more of an explosive athlete than we saw during the camps um, early in February and March. And I think that was the thing that just stood out to me. Uh, I think Casey Collier is a very interesting prospect as well. Six seven, three hundred pounds uh, out of Mont Bellu, Texas, Barbers Hill, which is kind of a newer school that a lot of people haven't heard about. But they had uh, I think it's Tom. Westerman, I can't remember his name, Westerberg, uh, who was the head coach at Allen High School, who won three state championships in a row in Texas at the highest level with uh, Kyler Murray. Um, they had uh, a few big-time offensive linemen that come out of there. Bobby Evans is a guy that went to Oklahoma. I think he's now starting for the Rams. He came in and became the AD at Barbers Hill, and he's the guy coaching up the, the offensive line and kind of brought some of those guys that he had at Allen with him over to Barbers Hill. So Casey Collier is a guy that has gotten some pretty good coaching yeah. at, at the Texas level and sort of a sneaky guy that, you know, watches senior film. We put it up uh, on the site. You can check it out in his profile. It's pretty dang good, you know. Now, is he a guy you want to throw out there as a, as a left tackle, as a freshman? No. No, I don't think you do. But for the future – if Jim Dreveno can get his hands on these guys and they could stick around and they can win enough games, that's what you you want to bring in those big bodies and develop those guys. And I think that's kind of a big deal. And those guys, they kind of jump out at me a little bit in terms of their potential. Uh, Luke, real quick on Periscope. We're getting a lot of Periscope love. Luke uh, sees and some other people comment about your ESP sticker and they want to know what instrument you play. Oh, but play the guitar. He's a guitar player. You would know that if you follow Ryan on Twitter because he took – we were in Nashville and I was playing guitar. Yeah, we yeah. went to – when we were – was it Nashville? Yeah, we yeah. went to like this fancy guitar store and yeah. checked it out. So it's pretty cool. Very nice. Yeah. Uh, we actually have a caller on the line. I believe it's JD from D.C. So let's go to him. JD from D.C.? Oh, man. Hello. You're live on television. Hey, Jim. Uh, you know, reading the Paris style this week, I'm almost getting a strange feeling. Elton just might be able to plug all the holes in this class. You know, uh, left tackle aside, which you've already discussed. What do you think the chance they could act on a class, close it out with Flo, Bryant, Drennan, and McLaughlin? If they can land those guys, they could all probably contribute next year and plug all the depth holes. You want percentages, huh, J.D.? Um... Yeah, just, I, mean, I mean, that's all he really needs to land next year. Uh, the running back position is the one that I think is sort of the tough one with this class. You really want to be John Robinson. That that was the one that USC really pushed for. They still might have a chance. They're still trying. They're still B. trying. John right Robinson, now. Yeah. Uh, you know, six foot, two hundred ten pound, uh, four star. He's rated as five star by some services as a running back out of Tucson, Arizona. He's committed to Texas. He committed to Ohio State silently, and he was committed to Ohio State for about a month and a half, almost two months, and. And then there was some weird thing where he was getting cold feet about the distance. And it sounded like his grandmother, which is interesting because there's a little bit of parallel there with Flo. His grandmother was sort of kind of feeling like, nah, we, we need – she was the matriarch of the family. and She wanted him closer to home. And I thought, well, okay, then, you know, USC sounds like, you know, that would that would be the choice. Now he went to Texas. Yeah. <laughs> so that was that was tough for USC, you know, that to, to actually be the third team basically in a three-team race. That was the guy that they really circled the wagons on. They still recruiting him. They had an in-home visit with him, brought the whole offensive staff in there. We'll see if that's able to, to change. Mike Drennan they brought in a couple weeks ago uh, on an official visit. A, a very 
good potential. He's not going to be a guy that's going to sign early now. Uh, from what we understand, he's going to be a February signee. So that's going to be interesting. We're going to see USC be able to have to kind of recruit him into January. He is the cousin of David Osbury. He used to play at USC, yeah, the, yeah. the wide receiver, which we didn't know until just a week ago. Uh, I think it was Bill Green, 24-7 Sports in Ohio, was to do an interview with his father and kind of talked a little bit about that. So, you know, we've heard from some sources that, you know, Michael Drennan really likes USC. USC might actually be his favorite right now. He's on an official visit. Uh, right now or just came back from Florida this weekend. So not sure, you know, how that's going to impact things, but he's going to wait. So that's going to be interesting. We're going to see Bijan is probably going to sign early. So we'll see if USC is able to steal that one in the night. That would be a shocker for a lot of people. And, and then we'll see what happens with Michael Jordan. So that that's the one hole that I feel like really does need to be plugged in this class that still a bit up in the air. Obviously with Bryce Young having a 2020 quarterback, it's just, it's weird. USC got put in a weird position here because Keaton Slovis has stepped up and become so much better of a player than anybody thought. Yeah. And everybody kind of thought that he was just sort of a, a, a middleman between JD, uh, JD Daniels, JT Daniels, JD, Jim and JTs and JDs mixed up here. <laughs> yeah. JT Daniels and, and, and Bryce Young coming in. It was like, okay, oh, they got this Keaton, Keaton Slovis guy from Arizona, whatever, Kurt Warner or something, three-star. <laughs> He's just basically going to be the, 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 the bridge between those guys, you know, that the practice squad guy, and he turns out to be a really good player, and Graham Harrell, you know, talks about him and, and, and blows him up, and he turns out to have a great season. And then, you know, that that's the part that's difficult. You know, where does Bryce Young come in? Does he just play right after? It looked like it was going to be JT Daniels, who had two years ahead of him, that's a complication there. That's 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 the tough thing to really work around if you're USC. Um, but yeah, and, and Flo certainly Flo Flo is a guy that you build. I mean, both he Bryce are guys you can build a class around. Sure, right. So they're the franchise type players. They're the guys that are really the name and the 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 definition of okay. What do you remember about that 2020 class? Those are the guys that you remember. Yeah. You know, maybe Gary Bryant to some extent, but you know, Gary Bryant's got to have that quarterback get him the ball. That's why I kind of go back to the, to the running back position. I think that's a position that USC has been – they just haven't had that guy. Even, you know, we talk about Marquis Stepp and his potential. He wasn't that guy coming out of high school, you know. It's like he may develop into be that guy, but he wasn't that guy coming out of high school. Stephen Carr's the last guy they got that was a sort of deal-breaker, playmaker, guy that you can just build around. Yeah. Now – when, we're going to jump back into, we have another caller on the line before we do. You talked about the whole phenomenon with Keenan Slovis, how he was a three-star, he came in and he played better than people expected. People have pointed to last year's class in that sense and said, could it have been higher when you look at Keenan Kristen and, and how Keenan played Slovis? Is there some wiggle room with these rankings and where USC ends up? I mean, there's always, like, the. I think USC's class, and Dan Weber talks about this, the, the guys that contributed... It showed that a lot of them were better. And then having right. a guy like Chris Steele come in who didn't wasn't part of the class but transferred in, you'll get Brew McCoy in there. If you included those two guys, it would have been a top 15 class. It would have been number 14. So I think that helps. Like just having Chris Steele play as much as he did, he wasn't really part of the class, but he transferred in. So um, I think that's all important. But there was definite guys you could see that could be playmakers in that class. And this is not, as of right now, you're not looking at this class going, oh, I see these potential. There's no Drake Jacksons. There's no guys that you're like, yeah, that guy's going to probably could be potentially be a playmaker and maybe ranked higher than what he is. You, yeah. you got some project offensive linemen, like the bulk of this class right now. And so I, I think there's less optimism that there's going to be a whole bunch of contributors, at least as the way it's constructed right now. 
Would you agree with that or no? You're a little skeptical over there. Well, I mean, the wiggle room is, are you arguing that the coaching staff does a good job at evaluation and that the class is actually better than it's ranked? Because I don't know. Maybe that's kind of the statement that's being made. And I know... The 2019 one, you could say that's probably true. I don't know. I wouldn't say that for the 2020 right now, but, you know. Well, we can't say it now. I mean, we we can't say it until guys, you know, get on campus. And maybe a couple of these offensive tackles end up being guys that could play right away. And you go, whoa, okay. They're on to something. I mean, the Keaton Slovis phenomenon is easy for USC to, if they whiff on this class, and let's say, you know, they don't get any Bryce Young, they don't get any Justin Flo, you know, they're they're, they're only able to maybe just get Gary Bryant, okay, and, and maybe a Darian Green-Warren, and it's like, okay, they got guys that, you know, they should get, but they missed out on the Drake Jackson this class. They missed out on the Brew McCoy of this class, the guy that sort of defined the class. There's going to be that sort of, yeah, but you guys don't know anything because Keaton Slovis, right? <laughs> that's going to be, I know that's coming. Like, that's going to be, yeah, yeah, yeah. We're only ranked such and such in the Pac-12. We're only ranked, you know, the 40-something, the but Keaton Slovis. You guys don't get it right all the time. And that's and that's true and that's untrue. I mean, Drake London was a pretty highly ranked guy. I felt like he should have been a five-star, but he was still a pretty highly ranked. Drake Jackson was just off a of five-star. I think he was like one notch below a five-star so he was still there's still guys that are highly ranked that played this season yeah. and were guys that contribute that played really well you know and, and i would say that king slovis was certainly a guy that played way above anybody you know thinking he was going to play at the level that he was going to play at but drake jackson played exactly like i thought he was going to play and drake london played exactly like i was going to play so it kind of evens itself out you can't just say well we got a bunch of three stars and we really evaluate well i mean you can if you do that consistently but there are other guys like mm, Trey Davis that didn't even make it to fall camp. So I was like, yeah. what's up with that evaluation? You know, so the, it, it works both ways. Mm-hmm. Let's go to another caller on the line, a parastyle podcast legend, if I may say so myself. I believe it's Curtis from Marino Valley who's yes, on the line. Hello, Curtis. you're live on television. Hi, everybody. This is a great show. Thanks for all this information, Mr. Martinez and I have one take for tonight. About a month ago on the Peristyle, I said if they would just announce that Clay could stay to the end of his contract, we'd get everybody. And, Ryan, you didn't like the take. You talked down on it. But now you know the truth. I don't have to say anything else. It's the, the number 80 ranked class. What do you mean you're getting everybody? Like, well, I, he's saying if I think they, it was a little more optimistic than – Yeah, than, I, 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 don't, I don't agree they would have gotten everybody. <laughs> it would have no, well, a lot. Well, Ger- Gerard, you said if we announced last year that we were going to – We wouldn't have everybody just leaving. The instability state made them stay away. Ryan, you thought they didn't want to come because of Clay. They love yeah, that's, Clay. That's a misnomer. That's a misnomer. I, I, I think, you know, everybody kind of wants to throw the baby out with the bathwater. But, no, kids in the recruits do like Clay Helton. They really they really do. Um, they just don't like the, the losing. They don't like the instability. They don't like the question marks. And look at the instability goes beyond Clay Helton as well. It's sort of the athletic department, and it's an issue with the university at this point. I mean, we're talking about the basketball, you know, the, the, the allegations, the, the notice of allegations. Yeah, yeah. There's a lot of stuff, you know, all the stuff going on in the university in terms of, you know, the corruption and the things going on. So it's 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 not all on, you know, the football program. The football program has actually been pretty stable with Clay Helton outside of that five and seven season. That was a bad season. That's a season that can't happen at USC. And that's the kind of thing that, you know, when you look at this signing day, 
is this going to be the reverberation of that five and seven season? Yeah. Is this going to be the five and seven of recruiting classes? That's sort of what you wonder because that's sort of how you, you see things sort of trail. The recruiting class tends to be like a year behind how you're playing in the trajectory of your football program. Yeah. And mm -hmm. Curtis, we love the optimism. I would just say if like, I agree with what Gerard said. If, if Mike Bone or whoever, if Lin Swan would have said, hey, he's coming back for sure next year, I think it would have helped things. It doesn't mean that they would get everybody. Like, I don't agree with that take. But it would have definitely made the recruiting class better. Just waiting the 11 days that Keeley talked about from the, you know, the end of the UCLA game to when it was announced that Clay Houghton was coming back. And that all that, I mean, that caused a whole lot of turmoil, especially with the fan base. I mean, that was 11 days that you couldn't really recruit. So I think any kind of earlier decision would have helped. I wouldn't say that an earlier decision to keep Clay Helton would have got everybody. I, I just, I don't agree with that one. Yep. Yeah. No, I mean, it, <laughs> it, it's, it's, it's tough because they haven't won all the games. I mean, that Oregon game was not good. That's not a good look. You know, when no. you got Oregon coming into your plays and you get blown out and Oregon is just trying to get every guy that you're trying to get, that's not going to help you. So there, yeah, there, there's a little bit of both. I, I it would have helped. It's hard to gauge how much it would have helped. It, it definitely would have, though. I mean, it, yeah. did they get Bijan Robinson? If Bijan feels like, hey, Clayton Helton, Clay Helton's coming back for sure, and they're going to be better this season, yeah, maybe they they do. It, it's tough to say. Obviously, Tom Herman now with Texas is in that same position that maybe mm -hmm. Clay Helton was a year ago. Yep. Thanks, Curtis, for the call. We appreciate it. And all the calls on the Parasail podcast as well. We're starting to get to the top of the hour, so I'm just going to go down rapid fire. Jared, if you want to add any other thoughts, I know you will, but you can do so as well. Uh, we have a question from Mark on YouTube who says, if USC is limited on scholarships, can they really take two linebackers like Flo and Iasefa in this class? Linebacker is a position where USC has a ton of bodies, maybe even too many bodies. That's a great question, and that's what we kind of talked about with with Iosefa. That that's the is that a plan B for like a backup flow? plan can or you, something? Can yeah. you you know this is the thing you know Blair and Gulo. Blair tells me he he thinks Iosefa is like a really good player. Like and, and you know Jordan was a heck of a player for USC. He was a three star guy. Yeah. He came in and played right away. Uh, he he hasn't really sort of gotten over that hump of potential and actually results, unfortunately. And obviously, with the dislocated knee, that set him back. We'll see. You know, he's got to, he's going to be able to medical and, and be able to come back, or he's actually just going to redshirt. He doesn't even need need a medical. I think, yeah, this it's year. just a redshirt. So you know, we'll see if he's able to come back and and get in there and do some things. But yeah, I don't I don't know if that's really a, a plan B type guy. That might be a guy that you want to take anyways. And again. Because you have this early signing period, you don't know where you're going to be exactly on the other side of this with transfers. That transfer porthole Portal. is... <laughs> I love it. I love the, I love the portal. Continue. You yeah. don't love it that much. <laughs> but that, but that's, a, that's a problem. It's, a, it's an issue that you really don't know. Are we going to be able to to have room for this kid? I mean, do we do we need nineteen to get Isefa, or can we bring Isefa on eighteen? Is he a guy that we want that much that we can bring him in? He's a three star, but like I said, I hear a lot of good things about him, and you know the bloodlines are pretty good because I mean, not only does he have Jordan, but he's got cousins and everything that went to Utah. It's a football family, so yeah. In terms of need, it's not the biggest need for USC, and certainly if you bring in Flo, it's like okay, we got Flo. Everything else works itself out. But he's a pretty good player, and I, I don't know. That's that's a good question. That's that's something that we kind of have to figure out. And I think it's only a question right now because there is optimism around flow. Otherwise, you say, oh, you don't have to worry about it. Flow's not coming. Yeah. yeah. Uh, 
Yes, Ryan. Real quick, like this, that wasn't really rapid fire, by the way. Uh, but J, Jr. Um, is you? I think it's Jr. Is USC in on CJ Stroud, uh, another quarterback from class of 2020? It doesn't seem like it right now. If, if CJ is going to be an early signee, which we think he's still planning to be, he hasn't officially visited USC yet. So, then, so no, that yeah. sort of seems like an answer in and of itself. Um, now, when it ter- in terms of the family connections, we had a question from AKA Boone who said. Uh, when it comes to guys like Houston, Tuipolotu, and ISF, all the younger brothers of of teammates that are on USC's team or were, uh, shouldn't those be no no brainer locks to be a commits for USC? I would think so. I was surprised that ISF committed to Cal as as quickly as he did, uh, even though he had the USC offer. Now you also have to look at it and say, okay, did USC offer him just to help him with his recruitment? You know, sometimes yeah. you get a little bit of that. But like I said, what I've heard lately is that he's he's a baller. He's a good player. So. Um, I I think that they have a really good shot at him. I know that Utah was trying to bring him in on an official visit this weekend, and USC got him instead. So that kind of tells me that he's got a lot of interest in USC. Uh, a, a lock, eh, hard to say, but I think, um, I, again, I think that dynamic of flow, it, it does complicate things. Dave on YouTube says, uh, what are you hearing, Gerard, uh, in regards to Tyler Vaughn's declaring for the NFL draft? Nothing right now. Uh, I know that's that's sort of the wild card. You know, that's the one guy that we're looking at as there's always that guy that goes a little earlier than you think he should, and he's probably that guy. I, I don't think he's ready for the NFL yet. I think he's got to get stronger. I think he can do himself uh, justice by coming back another year and getting more weight on him, becoming a little more physical. He's not a guy that's going to get a whole lot faster. Um, he's got great hands, but I think physicality is going to be something that on film is, is going to be an issue for him in terms of his projection. Uh, Danny on Facebook says, what's going on at, with Stanford? 11 players in the portal, and some of them are starters. That's crazy. I, I mean, haven't you know, the, the coaching staff looked like there could have been a change with David Shaw getting some interest from NFL teams, but it looks like the staff is all coming back. Maybe that's why the players are like, yep, we're out. Um, obviously, they had a terrible season this year. Uh, big step back. It doesn't look like it's getting better. They played a couple quarterbacks. Everyone seems to get hurt all the time. The running game just wasn't very good. Cameron Scarlett is just a big drop off between the guys that they had before Love and McCaffrey and all those guys. So it just it looks like that the kind of the shine is off, you know, the Stanford and that that model that was built with Jim Harbaugh and, mm-hmm. and continued very well by David Shaw. It just seems like they're not getting the same kind of offensive linemen in there. The Andres Peets and all those, you know, the five star offensive linemen, and they don't have that dynamic like playmaker or running back either. So um, they had a nice run when they had the really tall receivers. Uh, it hasn't really been the same since, so I, yeah, I don't know. It's uh, it doesn't look good. Keely, was that rapid fire? It was not. Okay. But moving on, <laughs> it's more rapider fire than yours. Shade, no, no. shade. Uh, I just got a text from Shotgun who says that C.J. Stroud, per a last conversation, does plan to be an early enrollee. Yeah. In case, okay. A serious on Facebook says, is there a commit who is really helping bring this class together behind the scenes? It's usually a quarterback, but as we know, there isn't one in this class yet. It was Bryce Young. <laughs> It was Bryce Young. It's not Bryce Young anymore. <laughs> it's it's not Bryce Young Maybe anymore. Maybe he's still making some calls on USC's behalf. He's like, hey, I'm going to Alabama, but you should really check out USC. But he was that guy. I mean, Jake Garcia. <laughs> I mean, you got to kind of go to that 2021 <laughs> class a little bit to to get, uh, you know, those guys that are the guys that can really do that. A bunch of offensive linemen. Yeah, they're not really recruiting each other too much. So I, I, yeah, I don't think there's really a guy that um, – has been, you know, very vocal. It, it, not really Kobe Pepe and those guys. Not really. Parker you know. Lewis, maybe the kicker. The kicker. Is it hard to be an organizer by, behind the scenes when the Clay Helton news was in flux? Yeah. 
that's 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 one of the biggest issues too. I mean, Bryce Young was really that guy. He was yeah. the satellite recruiter. I think he was almost frustrated with just how USC's class wasn't coming together over the summer. That was really the the, the turning point, I think, in his recruitment. Even though he decommitted later, I, we were hearing like it was going to happen before the season. Before the season, and one of the big deals was Bijan. And trying to get some running backs and trying to get some good linemen and just trying to build a balanced class with yeah. some good playmakers and it just wasn't happening. Yeah, uh, we have multiple questions in regards to non-recruiting news. SC Jeremy says, "Can hey can Clay Helton be fired after the bowl game?" And Steven mm -hmm. says, uh, "Have you heard any news on uh, if Clancy Pendergast or John Baxter will depart?" Can he? That's it's possible. Sure, I think he, he could. Can. Anything is possible. What did but if he Garnett wasn't fired say? at this point, I mean, it would have the only reason he would be fired at this point would be. There's like so many donors have decided not to give money and they just financially they're like, wow, this is worse than we thought. But I, I def I don't see that happening. I think they made this choice and they're going to they basically knew there was going to be a year of being in a bunker and just protecting yourself. Put the shield up over your head and just like protect you from all that. You know, I, Mike Bone's not really tweeting very much anymore. He'll retweet things. But every time he tweets or every time Carol Fold tweets, it's uh just a barrage of USC fans. So, do they even handle their Twitter accounts? Like, how much does that really do for? Well, we know Urban Meyer doesn't handle his kids. No, I don't know, but he's. He, I'm seeing more retweets from Mike Bone than than actual tweets because, you know, he doesn't like the. Com I'm assuming because you don't like the comments. Sure. The only before Keely jumps in, the only and I'll just mention it because it's it's kind of for lulls. But the only scenario <laughs> I, I've heard where. Clay Elton would still get fired involved Ed Erdron. So I'll let you guys go handle that. And then the grassy knoll, you guys yeah, can yeah. Have. Oh, boy. Yeah. And we, we already talked about Clancy Pendergast and John Baxter. We haven't heard, you know, if, but if something happens, it would be after the bowl game. Yeah, that's for sure. Jeff on a Facebook says, is Chris, is there a possibility that Chris Claiborne could be added to the staff? Possibility. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. I think these I know answers. I know. Well, I know Chris. Well, I yes. played against Chris in high school at North. Um, you know, we've been friends for a long time. He wants to be in a good situation. He he wants to get in a situation where he can get on the fast track to becoming a head coach. That's what he wants to do. He wants to be defense coordinator. He wants to be a head coach. And he doesn't want to get in a situation where there's there's turnover with the coaching staff and he's not a part of a good system. He just doesn't want to start off wrong, right? So that's probably the biggest thing is the hesitation is, you know, is that is that system going to be the right system? Uh, is Clancy Pendergast going to be defensive coordinator? Is there going to be a different defensive coordinator? Who is it going to be? All those things impact how you're going to come in because obviously Chris is familiar with certain systems and, and what have you. So, yeah, and, and right now there's not really a spot for him uh, unless you're talking about support staff, which I said USC needs to expand upon. But then there are obstacles and hurdles in bringing a guy like Chris that has so many associations with top players because in addition to being a Calabasas, he also does the opening. He's part of that tour. So I don't know how that comes into effect. I mean, you know, I've, I've tried to help people out with support staff jobs, guys that I know. And compliance has been pretty much like, you know, you looked at a recruit, and, you know, two years ago. So, yeah, we can't even interview you type wow. of stuff. So I, I don't know if you could get some kind of waiver or something for that. Yeah. Uh, Shantae really wants to know. He went on YouTube and on Facebook. Uh, is there any update on Darren Green Warren? Yes. Uh, as of right now, I am not changing my crystal ball prediction from USC. I know he got a lot of Michigan buzz there, and mm. that was all the talk. 
But from what I'm feeling right now, I'm going to stick with my USC crystal ball prediction. And I think there might be some changes with some of those Michigan, Michigan predictions here this week. Yeah. Interesting. That could be some good news for USC on Wednesday. That's my that's my vibe. He's a he's a four star, right? Or he... He's a four star. Yeah. yeah. He, he, he and Gary Bryan are kind of the two guys that, you know, with or without Helton, you felt like they liked USC just for all the reasons that that you can go to USC, not just oh I want to go because of this coach. It was you know the the academics and and the the post football post uh, USC sort of connections and the the networking that you can do. And I think that you know that that played a big part for them. Although I will say, like I said in the beginning of uh, the the show. Gary Bryant, it was a big deal for him to to have Clay Helton back, really because it meant Graham Harrell and that offensive back, and he's a receiver, and he just loves the way they pass the ball. Yeah. Um, Dave on YouTube wanted to know from Gerard, is it true that Clay Helton had little or nothing to do with recruiting Keaton Slovis? Uh, you know what? I don't know. I don't know how much he had to do with Keaton Slovis. Brian Ellis was the main recruiter, was the primary recruiter for Keaton Slovis. He was the guy that went out to go see him. He was the guy that evaluated him. He was the guy that got on the scholarship offer. So I can't say that, you know, Clay had a whole lot to do with it or nothing to do with it. I'm sure he had some type of input. He's a quarterback at heart. He was a guy that played quarterback, coached the quarterback position. I'm sure he had something to do with it and probably green-lighted it, but I can't say that he had a whole lot to do with it. It's hard to say. It, it, but Brian Ellis was the guy that was the primary recruiter for him. Uh, we have multiple questions about silent co commits, but it's not like uh, we're going to just out who are silent commits if there are any. Right, Gerard? No. <laughs> exactly. No. I don't, did you? What did you think of the Mike Bone saying there's four silent commits? That seemed a little strange. Just for a that, that athletic director like, to say that for one and yeah, then yeah, not really a, thinking that was true for, to be another. I think it was a bit reaching. I, I mean, I, it was true, but it, it was trying to rationalize like let's just find another good reason right yeah. some reason this recruiting class is way better than you think silent There's... commits are are very they it's tough to put any kind of uh Dude, regular commits signed commits can yes. be like questionable at this point exactly right? yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, not just like <laughs> verbal commits that's but the signed commits yeah. can be World questionable. we live in today yes. yeah so yes. silent commits are like yeah if you were a part of covering brew mccoy <laughs> all of that goes out the window yeah yep uh, A.K. Boone on YouTube says, are there any DBs interested in e in USC that are four-star guys? Hey, we just mentioned one. Darian we just Green mentioned one. one. Yeah. Any other guys, though? Uh, no, not not right now. I mean, there could be maybe some Juco stuff going on on the other side of the early signing period. It's tough to say. Um, but uh, it, they don't have a lot of room to be bringing in a bunch of DBs, and they got a really big class of DBs uh, last year. Not all those guys stuck around, but um, – the, the, the guys that they did get, they did sign, uh, you know, a lot of them contributed. You know what I mean? Dorian Hewitt was a guy that I really liked, and he he got in and actually played corner. He played safety at, at the North Shore in Texas and actually played cornerback for USC as a true freshman, which is pretty pretty good. Um, so, yeah, they I think they're pretty happy with that crop of guys that they have actually right now that are going to be sophomores that contributed last year. Um, real quick, Stephen Washington, is Taylor Katoa returning this year? He's a mission, right? So yeah, what he was on a mission. He should be coming back this next fall, I believe. I think over the summer he should be coming back. He will be a recruit again. He will be able to go and and kind of open up his recruitment again. So we'll see. You know that that is a good question. I haven't really checked in with that. You know that obviously comes into that conversation with Flo and ISFA in terms of you know what your need is and what your depth chart looked like. He is part of that scholarship class, though. When we look at it right now. 
A two-part question for you, Gerard. First up from Mark. Uh, out of all the offensive line commits, which ones do you believe will be the uh, able to contribute the earliest and which have the most upside? U- USC hasn't done a great job of developing project, quote-unquote, O-Lyman in the past. And then John on Facebook said, for Gerard, do you have any confidence in Tim Drevno's ability to recruit and develop offensive linemen? Well, he hasn't been very active with this group, actually. The two kids, they get Cortland Ford and Casey Collier were actually Mike Jenkins guys, Mike Jenks guys. So, Texas, you know, Texas, yeah, yeah, Texas guys. Mike Jinks has, you know, he was a high school coach in Texas, um, has a lot of ties to Texas. Obviously, he was at Texas Tech. And so that's interesting, you know, that, that Drevino wasn't necessarily the lead guy there. Uh, maybe from an evaluation point, though, they and it's hard to know behind the scenes what was talked about if they watched film together and, and Drevino said, yeah, I, mean, I, I like that guy, go recruit that guy. I, I'm not really 100% sure. I think from a development standpoint, I've always said I, I like – what Drevno has, because I think he evaluates well, he knows what he likes. He has a very defined opinion of what he likes in offensive linemen. And he gets very specific and very detailed. And it was a little different than a guy like Neil Calloway who sort of had generalities and sort of coach speak. And I want a guy who's physical. Okay, don't we all want a guy that's physical as an offensive line coach? I want I want some guys that are, you know, they're good football players. Okay, okay, we're getting real specific now. <laughs> but with... With with Drevno, he's very specific as to you know what kind of footwork he likes, what kind of balance he likes, what he's looking for in terms of mobility, and so I like that. I think that that's when you know you have a vision of what works for you and what you can coach. That makes it that much better to be able to develop your players. And the offensive line, you know, it, it, it was better this year. You know, I mean, it was certainly better than it was last year. Um, We'll see what happens here with some development of some guys. You, like you said, you know, the projects that USC has, maybe a guy like Clayton Bradley. Liam Douglas. Yeah, they, they haven't really kind of stepped up yet. We haven't really seen them. Uh, you know, Liam Jemmins is still there. You know, maybe he becomes a guy that comes over. Um, not a whole lot from a uh, name escaping me right now, the kid from Fresno that was a defensive tackle and switched over and played guard. Jacob, Jacob, Daniel. Daniel. Jacob Daniel, yeah, the senior, kind of came and went and didn't really necessarily make an impact. So, yeah, there's some criticism there. There's some reason. But, you know, Drevno took over at the end of last year. This was his first year really back and the offensive line. I think, you know, the fact that they may be able to get Austin Jackson out as a first-round pick is a big, big deal for them. You know, that's a huge deal. If you can get your left tackle out first round and maybe you get, you know, second round Michael Pittman, you know, maybe they can sneak him in late first round, probably not, but probably second round. That's pretty good for USC. That's a win. That's one that you didn't see maybe a couple years ago. Yeah. In that sense, Danny on Facebook wanted to know, do you think Austin Jackson and Elijah Vera Tucker will both leave for the NFL? I don't think Elijah Vera Tucker will go. Yeah. Um, I I could see he's Tyler well. He's going. graded out well, but I don't think he's ready. Yeah, to I, I, this was his first year really – you know, getting out there and, and showing, I think, putting a good film out there. I, I think he could definitely come back and put more film out there because he's a good player. He's a guy we saw in high school. I mean, that that class was a really good class for them, and that's sort of what they've been kind of hanging on to, and, and that's the scary thing. When they lose that class with, with Austin Jackson and those guys, that's going to really hurt them because they yeah. haven't been able to really replace that class. Last year – with uh, there was a big mess Jonah Tanaau and yeah and Sean Ryan and those guys that was the class that needed to be in place to lose these guys. Eric on YouTube says, Gerard, have you seen anyone like Justin Flo before at the high school level? You know, I mean, Vontaze Perfect, perfect yeah. was was a guy that was incredibly agile, very violent at the point of attack. Um, I, I think that you know Justin is a little better athlete. You know. Can, I, Never really saw Vontez play running back, but I've seen Justin Flo play running back, and he's a guy that just straight dominate. 
at a running back position. And that's that's nice to see. That's when you see that overall sort of athleticism show out. And I am always impressed by high school players that can play both ways. That's, I think, a big deal. You want to be able to see that athleticism at different positions and not just be like a plug-and-play. All I do is play linebacker. All right. I do is play cornerback. You see him play basketball or something. You yeah. see him do it, you know, play offense, like, you can get a lot more from you're that. Getting, you're getting a lot. And of he's always been impressive. Every time we see him at some kind of camp or combine, he's always cutting in line, trying to get the next rep. He's always, I mean, he's just a, a beast out there. So he's. Baby man. Baby man. SC <laughs> Slot Guy says, can Brew McCoy move to a defensive end instead of tight end? Tight end. He, wait, wait, wait. we put him at defensive end, first of all. So he's going to go from, he's not a receiver anymore. We've taken yes. him to defensive end, and then we're not even going to be happy with him before he can step on the field defensive end. We're going to put him a tight end already, too. He could be outside linebacker or something, I would think. I think than. we just got to wait and see how he comes back from this. Um, there was a, I'm not even getting into the rumor. I, I, we don't know 100% sure what was going on yet. I haven't heard anything directly. Go ahead, Keely. Do you have anything to say? No, okay. we can add that in the warm if we want to, but it's fine. Well, there's been there's been talk, but I haven't heard from his father, Horace, or anybody specifically to know what exactly it was. So I don't want to get into you know things that have been posted or things I've heard. Yeah. But I think we just just got to take a step back and let him get back into shape and get back into just yeah. the flow of things. I mean, this is a guy that's a very dominant player. Obviously, a lot of people see he gains the weight. Okay, we got to put him on defense. Oh, you know, he's a great linebacker in high school. A lot of people projected, hey, that linebacker is going to be a position. Maybe it is. I mean, to be a great pass rusher, to have a great pass rusher on the outside, that's the whole thing. That'd be pretty nice to have a guy like Brew playing on the outside and Justin Flo inside. Yeah, that's like that's, Drake Jackson opposite him or something. That's like. that's a lot of. There's a lot going on there. You know, that's <laughs> you can't you can't win if you can't score. A lot of athletes. Yeah, but then at the same time, you're going to lose Michael Pittman, and it'd be nice to have a guy that comes in and and can you know can complement uh, with with. Drake London. That's the one thing that USC showed this year is the fact that they can win and throw the ball and have multiple guys have great seasons. That's a huge thing. It's like a lot of offenses, it's that one guy, and it's like, okay, well, you can come in and replace that one guy. Well, USC saying, hey, man, we got a bunch of guys. Yeah, yeah. It's funny. It's different, too, because I actually did an interview with Daquan Hampton over the weekend, if you guys remember him. Yep, playing in XFL now. He's playing in the XFL. Yeah. He's playing for the Los Angeles team, so I'll have a story coming up about him, but he would have loved it. Like uh, his 2015 year, it was like Juju and then <laughs> nobody. You know, And then the next year was like Juju and some Deontay and stuff. But he was – I talked to him about it. He was like he'd love to have been able to play. It's just they weren't going to use anyone outside of the top one yeah. or two guys. And, yeah. Um, now you can't to have four guys go over 100 yards in a game. like The that, thing about Keaton Slovis is just he gave – those receivers a chance that that was sort of that year with Matt Barkley where there was 2011 when Kiffin was there it just was like they gave Woods and they gave uh, uh, Marquise Lee a chance to just make catches and that just seemed like what Keaton Slovis did and you hope that they continue to be that aggressive and they don't overcoach him and he starts to you know feel like he can't throw those balls right because you got guys out there that can make plays man and in the Pac-12 Drake London is better than 99% of the other defensive backs he's going to go against. Just get that ball into a place where he can go get it. Uh, while we're on the topic of Brew McCoy, uh, Bill on Facebook says, does the appearance of Brew McCoy this weekend during recruiting visits signal that he may be ready to contribute on the field soon? Well, he's practicing. He's back out there doing the little workouts and everything. He's back in the flow of that, trying to get back into the, you know, the 100%. I think the thing with Brew and both Chris Steele, is another guy that we kind of don't talk about. Chris Steele was at Florida during the, during the spring. Those guys can talk about that 
grass on the other side, right? The yeah. grass is always greener on the other side. Oh, got to go play in the SEC. Got to go play at Texas. That's amazing. Football is everything there. And they were there, and they saw it. And now they decided mm, it wasn't for me. And they've come back. And they could talk to a guy like Justin Flo and say, look, you know, man. Clemson, they were on the official visit with Justin. Yeah, Clemson. Clemson's great. Uh, you know, national championships and everything. But, you know, when you're not playing football, you got to think about the rest of your life. You know, and, and the, the fact that football can be taken away from you at any point is also something you have to think about. So you start talking about degrees. You start talking about just the lifestyle, you know, leaving Los Angeles, all this other stuff that goes on. And I think those guys really speak well to it. And that's why those guys are probably very proactive on these official visits. Whether they're hosting or not, I think they're definitely having conversations. And a guy like Baby Man, he, he's been around, you know, Chris Steele for a long time. He, he knows Chris Steele pretty well. He knows Brew pretty well. He was a premium guy with Brew. They know each other. Those guys run in the same circle. So it's not one of those things that, you know, they're just there going to just chat up USC and talk USC and they don't have a relationship prior to the official visit. Those guys know each other well. And so that I think it's got a big deal. I mean, people forget Justin Flo was at Brew McCoy's uh, Army All-American announcement for USC. When he announced the game, Justin Flo was there. Justin Flo was right in. I, I tweeted. I was like, "Oh, Justin Flo there, right next to Brew McCoy as he's you know going to USC. Kind of a big deal. So there obviously is a relationship and some trust there. And so it's going to be interesting to see what their pitch is and see if they, they say, you know what, this is why you should come to USC. Mm-hmm. Uh, Keith on YouTube says, any chance that Jack Yeary comes back? Yes, he's going to officially visit USC in January, and that's a big deal because he's not going to be an early signing. And a lot of people thought. You know, he's gone, and and that and that's an interesting thing because he talked about, you know, I'm decommitting because USC is not really throwing to the tight end, which is correct. They didn't, they didn't throw to the tight end. But at the same time, I think there was also – he was really skeptical about, you know, the coaching staff not being there. And that was an opportunity to take some official visits and go look at some schools. I think he officially visited Washington. Um, but USC now, they know Clay Helton's going to be there. He has a good relationship with Clay Helton. We'll see what happens with Baxter. Certainly, like again, we talked about that with Clancy and Baxter. And Baxter being a tight ends coach, if 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 they made a move there, would they have a tight ends coach? You know, there's a lot of questions. But Jack Yari is going to make that official visit, and that's a big deal for USC. Yeah. We have a couple more questions, then we have a couple more calls, and then we'll go into final thoughts because we're reaching the hour and a half mark. Yeah, we're going to wrap it up. Um, Scott on YouTube says, is there any truth to the rumor that fans talking bad about USC to the recruits is making an impact? I have not heard anything from a recruit that said, yeah, you know, the fans email me and tell me don't go to USC, and I think they're right. That's never happened, so... Um, I think the overall vibe of the fan base is unhappy. They're unhappy with just – I think everything with the football program is sort of the trajectory. It's, it's just sort of from Lynn Swan, you know, the Hayden stuff and everything that's kind of gone on. And, again, there's a lot of vetrol that gets spewed at, at Clay Helton specifically. I think USC fans and, more, important, more importantly, the donors are starting to see the bigger picture with this. And it's – Clay Helton is – just a just a coach, you know. There's it's the decision makers and the guys that are deciding to make the hires, and and that's really more of the issue, and that's more of the questions that are starting to come around. And I think that's definitely more accurate, and that's more where, you know, USC fans have to be more frustrated, and they have to look for some more accountability. It's 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 really not on Clay. Clay's doing, I think, the best he can. He's doing his job. It's really he's just sort of the result of all that. Mm-hmm. Um, we have a question from AKA Boone who says, are there any five slash four stars out of state guys and play for us since apparently we cannot secure anyone in California? 
Uh, well, I mean, Bijan would be a guy that's, you know, four-star uh, slash five-star, depending on uh, what service you're looking at. Uh, you know, right now, you know, Drennan is a guy that's a four-star. He's going to be January guy. Sounds like he's not going to sign early. That's kind of a big win for USC, just to have a guy that you can still recruit. Um, so he's Ohio. He's from Dublin, Ohio. So that's a potential guy. Um, Xavier Carlton, who's actually originally from California, now lives in Draper, Utah. He's a guy that USC is is going to try to make a run at to get an official visit in uh, January. Utah's the big leader there right now, so we'll see how that goes. But USC will recruit him, so he's a four star defensive end. Um, that's that's kind of it in terms of out of state. Uh, USC has been outside of going to Texas. The interesting thing is it's kind of been local for the most part. Um, and I think you know again uncertainty. That's yeah. the thing that kills the football players. Five and seven, you're not going to be able to recruit a lot of four or five star guys out of no. state. It's not going to. And even you know when you're when you're eight and four and you're you're getting questions about your coaching, you know, stability. Nobody's going to come from Virginia or Florida to, to come to a program where it's going to be a whole new coaching staff. Kids are more and more starting to identify and under, realize you don't commit to a school for a coach because coaches can leave at any time, anywhere. You know, Nick Saban could could turn around in January and say, "I'm retiring." It could happen. Yeah. And you're like, oh, I came here to play for Nick Saban. When well, you're not playing for Nick Saban anymore. That, I, the kids are starting to realize, and they're and the people around them that are helping to make the decision are starting to realize that can happen. You have to go and look at the school for more. But it still impacts that sort of, I know what the plan is going to be. I'm going to send my kid across the country to go to this because this is what I know what's going to happen. If there's any questions about that, it kills recruiting. Yeah, uh, Gerard, your comment about it be, not being on clay caused a little bit of a controversy. Do you want to expand on that a little bit? I think you were pointing more to the broader picture of the administration. Yeah, rapid fire. Like I said, it, it, clay is more of a result of the things that have gone on in administration for probably 20 to 30 years. Okay, this is how you kind of sort of get to this point. I know we had that Pete Carroll era. That was lightning in a bottle. You know, we talk about him being like the fourth pick at USC. I mean, if, if you just have to think if Pete Carroll – what if they would have hired Mike Riley and it would have just been a team that maybe they get two, maybe three Rose Bowls in that time, no national championships. And then you go and somehow, you know, you, you still have those sanctions or you don't have sanctions. You have Lane Kiffin. You, it, it, the, it hasn't been the best. Okay. You're looking at it from that point of, point of view. That's more because of what's gone on with the administration. And I think what's gone on with the board of trustees, I think there's got to be a lot of blame on the board of trustees. I think the board of trustees have sort of, you know, been able to skate with this a little bit. And a lot of it gets, oh, well, you know, it's the president. Oh, it's Lynn Swan, the rogue AD Lynn Swan, who gave Clay Helton this this extension and everything. Come on, man. You don't think, you know, Wayne Hughes, who pretty much hired Lynn Swan, didn't have any say in that? There's been some decisions that have been made, and I think the accountability is on a bigger level. Clay Helton is yes, I understand he's the football coach, but it can't be all. If you're just laying it all at his feet, you're not seeing the bigger picture and really what needs that the changes that need to happen for USC for USC to really be a national championship contender again. Yep, good elaboration. Just wanted to give you a platform to do so. Uh, Danny says, Gerard, what are your thoughts on Marcus Allen being on the sideline at the LSU game? You know, I don't know. He's what do you think, Brian? I, I, he, he's John I, Robinson's I, boy, and he's just going to hang yeah, out and be I on talk TV and. Dan, both Dan and I talked to Marcus. I talked to him after that, before, you know, after the Alabama game. And he ha has so much respect for John Robinson, and he's going to support John Robinson. And the John Robinson works for Ed Orgeron now. USC fired John Robinson. So if John Robinson was working for USC, 
Marcus Allen would probably be around more. Plus, what the, is John's? What is John's role? Is it kind of similar to what he's doing at USC? Special assistant to the head coach or something like that. Oh, he so was more like on the fundraising. Yeah, USC. I think it was more on the USC side. So there were some cuts definitely made that were curious. That's, that's a, I mean, a great example. He's in a football role for LSU at USC. He was in a fundraising role. Yeah, that's that's a great example of what USC has been really in the last ten to fifteen years. It's all been about that endowment. It's all about bit fundraising and anything that was there that could be a resource was really put towards that, not the football team. Yeah, I mean Marcus still loves USC and stuff, but you know that's his coach. John Robinson is his coach. I mean he loves Orgeron too. He lives in Atlanta now, and so it was perfect for him to go to the SEC championship game. And uh, there yeah. you go. Two more questions, and then we'll go into calls, and then final thoughts. These last two kind of put you on the spot. First off, everyone wants to know if you had to make a guess, where does Justin Flo end up? On Wednesday. Oh, do you have a crystal ball? <laughs> you have a crystal ball on for USC? Or? You don't have to if you want to wait. Mm, I can't remember. I might have. I still have a crystal ball from like two years ago to USC. Um, do you get points the longer it goes? Yeah. Like more points? Yeah. Oh, interesting. I can't remember when I made it. If I made it. Um, I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say Oregon right now. He's still on his official visit. I don't think he's going to be done here until probably a little later. So. I'm I'm I I, can't, I don't want to get sucked into the optimism. It's all sort of coming from the USC side, which is understandable. But it's one of those things that you know Clemson had that optimism, Oregon had that optimism. You know wherever Justin goes and visits, there's that optimism. I think that's by design. I think Justin wants to keep everybody copacetic. He doesn't want that pressure of any when 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 schools start to slip, and I'm sure he got this a bit from Clemson. They start to panic and they start blowing up that cell phone. And it's like it's much easier to just mull over these decisions when, you know, you have that time and that space and nobody is feeling like they're getting out of it. And then they're just bombarding you with phone calls yeah. and stuff, even during the dead period. So yeah. I'm going to still say I'm going to I'm going to say since I, I understand that Clemson's out of it. Yeah. Supposedly, that's what I'm told. I'm going to lean towards Oregon, but it's a it's not a it's. I don't feel great about it. No, same way. I'll lean toward Oregon, but I think USC still got a puncher's chance. I think they got a chance, yeah. And then everyone wants to know, if you had to guess, where does USC's class, final class, in this early signing period end up rank-wise? Oh, hmm. I haven't punched in like – so you can go to 24-7 and, and do, do the calculator. <laughs> I've had to. I just like put the numbers in. So you, put the, so you can put a calculator in there. Uh, class calculator. I think picking up a couple yes. of the four stars, you know, it'll move USC up. But I, I'm guessing it's going to be like – in the high thirties or something like that's not a bad call. I, I I mean if if you could get a flow, it's gonna go closer to probably no, flow. Then you're like it doesn't it doesn't go up 20s, as much probably. as you think. But it's yeah you're starting to break into that. You could to the you top could 25. potentially get to the top twenty five. Like you could get close to it. Where I don't think if you get if you don't get Bryce Young or Justin Flow, I'd have to actually you're I, in the high thirties. Yeah, I, I should bet. actually calculate. I don't know if I've calculated what is in my head now, what they could possibly get. So it's a total guess, but I'd say high 20s. Okay. Interesting. How, How much wiggle room is there between signing periods? Is it kind of just the early signing period is where that ranking is? No, you well, no, it continues on to the, yeah, to the I, I understand I understand the logistics, but as far as what USC could do in that time period, do you think it will move from the initial thing that we see? It will move a little bit because like you said, you have uh, Jack uh, Yari, uh, you have, you know, Carlton, you, you have a few guys, Drennan, there might be a few guys that linger on, you know, I, I think I said this two years ago, 
I think it's just going to take sort of that time for kids to realize that they made bad decisions by making early decisions. And if they waited, they could have seen maybe some much better options. Yeah. If they just got a lot of those three-star, low four-star guys, I mean, you know, Drennan's kind of hanging out and LSU's recruiting him. And there's a possibility he could take an official visit to LSU, you know? So that's LSU's obviously waiting for somebody else that's probably higher rank, maybe at another position. And then, you know, that's a plan B for them. But maybe Drennan still wants to go there. Maybe there's another school. There's there's a lot of that kind of stuff that goes on for those guys that are sort of the lower four-star, three-stars. Whereas two years ago and last year, everybody signed. Yeah. Everybody signed. They were done. And then you have schools like USC that are looking and they've got spots open for guys that, hey, they just need alignment. Well, sorry, you already signed with Washington State. Yeah. 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 All right. Let's jump into our callers on the line. I believe first one is Corey. Hello. You're live on Tunnel Vision. Hi. I was just um, Corey from Los Angeles, and I was just wondering the probability of Justin Flo and Gary Bryant going to USC on Wednesday. Thanks, Corey. Thanks, Corey. Well, we talked about Justin Flo. And mm-hmm. we're all, we're obviously sort of on the fence a little bit. We're probably you know? in the forty percent of USC it, right. Yeah, I think that's not bad. You know, we're getting influenced by the optimism from the official visit and all that kind of stuff and pictures with, with, uh, with President Folt. Uh, but you had Gary Bryant in that picture as well on an unofficial visit to USC. I I would I would put Gary in there at like a 80 percent. Yeah. To USC. I, I yeah I think Gary's liking himself some USC these days. Good stuff. Okay, let's go to our next caller, our final caller of the night. I believe it is Mitchell. Hello, you're live on Tunnel Vision. Hey, how's it going? Hello, hello. What's up, Mitchell? Uh, I, there's been a few negative comments, and, like, I wanted Urban Meyer just as much as everybody else. I mean, he's, like, probably the greatest college coach of all time, arguably. Um, but I just kind of feel like USC fans need to shut up and just support the coach. Like, it's not going to happen. Change is going to happen. It's time to live with it and move on and just be supportive. Um, and where is Corey Foreman kind of looking at these days? Thanks. Corey Foreman was actually on an unofficial visit to USC yesterday. So they brought in a bunch of juniors. I'll rattle off some names. Jake Garcia has already committed to USC. Uh, Bo Collins, Jalen Smith, Dyson McCutcheon, uh, Tavion Beasley, Anthony Beaver Jr., who's actually committed to Oregon right now, C.J. Williams, who's a 2022 commit, or excuse me, 2022 um, uh, wide receiver um, from uh, modern day. He's not committed yet. Um, and Zion Branch, who's another 2022 kid. So a good group. Corey Foreman comes in. Uh, John John, who's uh, Jonathan Flo, who's also, also uh, Justin Flo's brother, was on campus basically all weekend with him because he's you know officially visiting. Um, and they get some offers out. Uh, St. John Bosco had two offers. 2021, a junior offensive lineman, Maximus Gibbs, uh, got a scholarship offer. Uh, big kid there. Um, and Nathan Burrell, 2022 defensive end from St. John Bosco, got a scholarship offer. And DJ Harvey got a scholarship offer from USC this past weekend, 2021, a Sierra Canyon defensive back. Um, interesting because he actually went to one of the camps and we thought he was going to get a scholarship offer, scholarship offer from the camp and didn't get a scholarship offer. So uh, Corey Foreman, I think USC is in a great spot for him. You know, I think that's another kid that he loves Drake Jackson. I mean, he was you know just very tight with Drake yeah. and his dad, Dennis, and, and, you know, that, that family that, you know, the centennial that, that group of those top players are all very close. You know, Gary and Gary Bryant Sr., um, they're all very close. They talk a lot. And, and you know, Drake Jackson had a great year. And everything, you know, when I talked to Kerry, or excuse me, talked to Corey, um, you know, he kind of said, you know, everything that USC promised Drake happened. 
Like, so that was a good thing. You know, he came out, he played early, he played well. And, you know, that, that, that was a big deal for Corey to be able to see that. And Corey misses Drake. He missed Drake a lot this year because, you know, you His had numbers Dr- weren't as good. Yeah, yeah, you have Drake on that other side. You can't double team Corey so much. Corey saw a lot of double teams and triple teams, and he was over it really like second game of the season. <laughs> and so he's like, yeah, man, I was like, I knew it was coming, but dang, you know. So, yeah, he, he misses Drake. So certainly that's a guy that, I mean, it's it, USC's to lose, but, you know, Justin Flo was USC's to lose. Bryce Young was USC's to lose. There's a bunch of guys I could rattle off names of that were USC's to lose, and some of them they they have already uh, lost. lost. Some them. of them they still have a chance of being able to get them. Mm-hmm. What about what Mitchell saying? USC fans just shut up. I mean, no, I'm not going to tell anybody to shut up. I mean, <laughs> I understand what they're saying. Now, look at there's one guy that was pretty persistent about the Urban Meyer stuff. Pretty pretty on about exactly what I thought was going to happen with Urban Meyer. I'll believe it when I see it, and I think. All I can say about that is hopefully it's a learning process for the administration and the boosters. I don't know if the administration ever was really involved in Urban Meyer. I, I don't necessarily buy that. I never heard that Mike Bone actually even talked to Urban Meyer. I think it was more of a booster thing, and I think the boosters did exactly what I thought they were going to do and say, hey, we'll write a blank check and we'll, we'll we'll back up the Brinks truck and all these n- n- nonsense, you know, these, these little uh, um, I, uh, idioms and things of like, oh, yeah, you know, we're going we're gonna to just – you know, throw a bunch of money at him and he's going to turn around. A guy like Urban Meyer, you got to have a plan together. And they, they that means the administration and the athletic department has to be set up a certain way. He wants the table set. He wants to be able to sit down and eat right away. He does not want to have to sit there and try to deal with all this, you know, bureaucracy and all this stuff going on at USC. And obviously the scandals and, and some of the excuses have been that, you know, maybe USC didn't want to make that move because – they still have to see what happens with this federal investigation, uh, with the corruption and the things going on, and and so people have to be cleaned out of Heritage Hall that may be still involved with this. You know, there's still a little black cloud hanging over that. And then once that happens, then you can bring in a, a coach that's more of a micromanager. But that that's the big thing. That's just the control factor, and you have to give Urban Meyer some specific assurances that compliance and student initiatives and all these things he has control over to make those things his and that he can have the success that he's had at other programs because he had control with those things at those other programs. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And Mitchell, real quick, I mean, I, I as a fan, you want to have enjoyment by watching the team. And uh, I know there's a lot of fans that are just really down on things right now. But as a fan, I think you want to, it's your time, it's your money. I think you should be able to do what you want to do. Um, I don't like some of the stuff where it gets very personal, I don't, I don't like that at all. But if you're saying like, "Hey, whoever the coach is, I'm going to support them," that's great. I mean, that you want to do that, I think you can do that. If you're a fan that's like, you know what, I don't think the administration's listening to us, I'm not going to support them financially right now because they need to know that they've really upset me. And if there's more people like me, then maybe that sends a message. I'm fine with that too. Uh, I just don't want to see like the, and I don't like it when both sides fight each other and get personal that way either. So as a fan, I think you should be able to do what you want to do. Um, but I wouldn't tell all fans to shut up and do act this way or act this way. I, I see both sides of it. I, I get both sides of it. I understand it. I understand of just saying, you know what, that's my team. And I just, you know, at some point, it's just like you got to you, you gotta deal with what's there. You know, you got to support what's there. You can't continue to sort of, you know, hypo, the, uh, go with the hypotheticals. And, and it's more – what we've seen, like, you know, even bringing – real factual information to the table 
Sometimes people don't even want to hear that. Like they want the fantasy football aspect of it. They yeah. they're they're yeah. mad that you're. I mean, I don't know how many times that I had issues. I mean, the whole GM versus insiders thing going on in the Memphis sports because I just was like, I don't think it's happening. This is you guys are kind of taking some things that were wishful thinking and turning them into sources, yeah. and and people are just mad because I was kind of peeing in their Cheerios, and I I understand <laughs> it, but you know it's, it's kind of my job. I I kind of have to say, look at this. This is. But I almost feel like sometimes they just want me to lie to them. No. People want me to say, yeah, no, it's happening. Jeremy There's Meyer's a lot of coming. times when you come back with like, well, here, I, th- there was like a, some conspiracy theory. And you come with the fact like, well, I just talked to yeah. this person and they said this on the record. They're like, oh, like they'd rather would have it. The, it's well, not, oh, leave. it's F you. Yeah. You suck. You're arrogant. Get out of here. And, yeah. and that. And I, but I, I, I understand it. It's just, yeah. it's sort of, it's taught me some lessons and, you know, we, uh, Almost like, you know, maybe we should have a message board that's just like the fantasy USC football team <laughs> where we just do some simulations on like NCAA football 2014 and we just All like, right, okay, peace. Urban Meyer is the coach here and this is the recruiting class he got and they win every game and it's like they could just, you know, kind of like just sink themselves into that team and then we bring the reality into the peristyle yeah. of what's actually happening. The, the real quick food analogy, if you sure. have like the, the neighborhood restaurant, like everyone grows up going to this, it's like it's this Italian restaurant, everyone goes there all the time and and you you're you've been going there forever and then they make a menu change that that you don't like and and a lot everyone seems to hate the menu change and you're like you know what this has been my restaurant since I was a little kid I'm going to keep going and eating there and if 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 you decide to do that that's great if you decide to be like you know what they, they've changed this menu we told them not to change it where are their loyal customers and they're not listening to us I'm not going anymore I get that too so it's sort of like sort of like what's happened with USC Mitchell jumped in the comments to clarify that he didn't literally mean shut up. He just said, he says, I wanted a coaching change too, but we're not getting one. So continuing to complain really isn't going to do anything. That was his point. Well, I guess the, the, the complaints are they want the administration to hear them. So they want to know like your decision that you made is very unpopular. We feel it's wrong. And you know, so, I mean, if you make a bad decision in life, Sometimes you don't even know about it and you just kind of keep going on with your day. They don't want the administration to keep going on with their day. They want them yeah. to know, hey, man, you got screwed up. The issue with that side of things, and this is, I think, what what gets the, the sunshine pumpers. If, I mean, I wouldn't put Mitchell in there, but that gets them riled up is that that side that wants to see change has to try to recruit. And they want to bring influence because they know that the more donors that come in and don't buy season tickets and don't buy merchandise or whatever – they feel their voice is being heard that much more. Yeah. So they're inherently sort of pushing <laughs> to try to incorporate and try to change other people's minds. Whereas the people that say, hey, you know, it's Clay Elton. So let's, okay, that's the team. That's what we're rooting for. They don't care. They, they don't need to go and try to change somebody's mind. Right. So there's a little bit of that sort of, yeah, they're, they're, they're trying to solicit, you know, more fans into the army of, you know, we need to, to protest. Right. Everything. I will say it's interesting seeing some of the people who I saw go like, I'm out on USC football. Once Justin Flo's name came up, they're like, wait, what? What's happening? What's happening with Justin Flo? Well, that's, so, I guess that's the danger there, too, is like, oh, there's some optimism. It could get Justin Flo and Bryce Young. And they're like, like neither of oh. them sign. You're like, uh, I was right before. Or out. You know, like, Which we try not to. Like, we could very. Right. There's websites, and I'm not going to name names, that definitely play up the optimistic role. There's. Just a sliver of a chance, and it's like, oh, do you know what we're hearing? It's going to happen, and then it doesn't happen. And you know what? They deal with a, you know, a few days of a meltdown, and then they move on with it. But it was months of buildup, but we try not to do that. I just feel like it's disingenuous. We just want to be objective yeah. and tell you what we really yeah. think is going what's, on. What's actually not, happening. Not what you 
want to hear or whatever. Yeah. Now, looking at the broad picture, you guys talked about a little bit earlier how, you know, USC finished, I believe, 20th last year after a 5 and 7 season. It was the lowest in the internet era. Talking about projecting this year's maybe top 25 if USC is lucky. What does it look like on the whole for USC's recruiting? Is this a trend that we're going to see where USC is going to struggle with recruiting? Because the big joke around USC recruiting prior to the 5-7 and seven season was that they could close really strong uh, at the very end. Does it seem like they can still do that and, and get that momentum back? Or where do you see it trending on the whole? I, mean, I think the or real quick, I'll jump in first. The real issue is the tr you talked about a trend. What we've seen for a trend is you have a, a, a coaching staff that's kind of in limbo year after year, and that doesn't help recruiting. And when you, when everyone expects the coach to get fired and he comes back, and then everyone expects the coach to get fired and he comes back again, I mean, do you think the next year everyone's going to not expect them to get fired? Like everyone's going to expect them to get fired unless you go out and beat like Alabama or something. So then yep. you're just got to like, you got to win the lottery basically and do something that's, you know, uh, not been easy for USC to do. It's possible. I mean, USC is a talented team. They could go out and do that. We just haven't seen that happen. But it's going to happen if it's an early start to the season where maybe you play Utah on the road early. You've played Alabama. You got a couple early losses. It was hard to recover this year from three and three, even though you finished winning five of the last six. The three and three sort of defined the season. And I yeah. think the same sort of thing is going to happen this year. And then you get a big blowout to, to, uh, to uh, Oregon. I, I think you're in danger of the same thing happening where – the whole coaching staff is in limbo. You're not really sure what's going. They've lost some games. And then how are you going to recruit well? So I, I think that's the danger of bringing this coach back yet again. No, I agree. It's the instability. And, and nobody's going to take Clay Helton off the hot seat. And like you said, that Alabama game, I mean, we're, we're going to get, you're going to get it right away. Yeah. And if they get blown out again, it's going to be right back to where we were, you know, just a few weeks ago, just a month ago. And that's going to be the whole season. It's going to kill their recruiting for the whole season again. The only maybe positive they can get out of that is, you know, Clay Elton said, you know what? They told, they, everybody told you I was going to be fired back in 2018. Didn't happen. They yeah. told you I was going to be fired in 2019. Didn't happen. So what makes you think that it's going to happen now? Maybe there's something to be said for that. You can sort of spin it right. a little bit. But. It's hard to get off the hot seat in that way. Like you don't get, you get off the hot seat, like Gus Malzahn's gone in and out of the hot, you know, off and on the hot seat, but they would, you know, they would beat, you know, beat some really good teams and win some, you know, yeah. big games and stuff. But to go, you know, when you get blown out by Oregon like that, it's just hard to come off of it. Like it's, no one's getting, you know, when people put their projections for next season, all the national pundits, Clayton's going to still be on the hot seat. Like it's yeah. just, you know, that's, that's the way it is. And it's, it's tough to live in that world where you're constantly on the hot seat. And it's, it's tough on the fans too. The fans don't want to see that either. I mean, it's got, not going to be good for recruiting. So We'll see, but it's it seems like I think the, the same things. You know, you're ready for this next season. What the we saw early this season. signing period, and a lot of people kind of argued about whether a midseason firing was something that was good for the program or not good for the program, and they, you know, cited Sarkeesian and Lane Kiffin and how those things sort of went. I think with the early signing period, it's 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 definitely becoming more of an option that is good to to, to kind of make that decision and know that you have your certain candidates and get them lined up and be able to make that make that choice early if you can. Obviously if it's an NFL type thing, then you got to wait for those guys or whatever, but I mean waiting and only having 2 weeks left before signing day is tough. That's tough. And you know what? The thing is USC had a bike bye this week. So the season actually ended earlier. Next season's not going to be that way. No. Yeah. Now, one final question for, from me before we wrap it up. 
in the letter of Clay Hilton coming back, they mentioned more uh, resources. Jordan, do you see that going towards recruiting? We always talk about how USC is kind of on the the delayed factor as what's, where recruiting is trending and the new trendy things to do. Do you see that being more supported going forward? Yes, because I think it's going to go towards personnel, and I think that's always a big thing. I think that's where USC is lacking probably the most right now. Um, you could argue facilities to some extent, but I think – and personnel, that's really the one place where they're way behind the curve. I mean, this is marketing. You see the stuff that you get when a kid commits to, to, to Clemson or something, and it's just like they've got graphics made already. They've got all these things going on. They're just, you know, Clemson, Ohio State, Alabama, even Oregon, just such a higher level of focus and investment into the football program and football being sort of that catalyst and it's really a, a, a foundation part of the university. And, you know, is USC going to ever – are they going to really kind of embrace football like that or athletics like that? I mean, it seems like they're sort of in this we want to be, you know, to Stanford what Yale is to Harvard. And that's been their obsession here in the last 15 years. Um, I think if they invest in the in the personnel, that's going to help recruiting a lot. It's going to help development. you got to have – some real coaches that are, are guys that have been in the business for a long time that are on that support staff. You know, you got to have um, more Dave Campos. Uh, yeah. That's what you mm -hmm. see throughout. I mean, you know, you saw um, Sanchez get fired at UNLV. And, you know, Tony Sanchez is, is a guy that would be a great kind of sort of support type guy for USC. Now, again, you, now you have that association prospect type of rule that may may kind of boggle things up but that's like a great guy that like if you wanted to get into vegas hire a guy he's a former head coach you know like yeah. and, and people go well god man you're gonna get a head coach to be a support staff guy well hell yeah well look at what alabama's yeah. done i mean look yeah. at all the guys they've had the support staff guys there mike Loxley, steve sarkeesian i mean all kinds of guys so that's really where usc is way behind just the the support staff and that enables you in so many different areas in terms of marketing, in terms of recruiting, phone calls, official visits, all this kind of stuff. Um, and then there's other, obviously, areas that they have to get better at, too. But, you know, hopefully uh, the, the the new uh, contract for Graham Harrell doesn't take up all that new investment money. I don't know. <laughs> that, <Good question. laughs> that, that'll be interesting. To it's see worth it. Whatever you pay him, it's worth it. So True. they need that. True. All righty, guys. Any final thoughts before we wrap it up? Time to go. Happy holidays. <laughs> yeah, happy holidays, everybody. Long day. Uh, Schedule-wise. Yeah, uh, boss man. Yeah, what's yeah, what's going on with the, 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 okay, the so, lack of practices you guys uh, can cover? Yeah, we sure. can't really do much of that. Um, I think we could do one next week. I'm going to be traveling back east. Uh, next Sunday is actually my birthday, but we could – My new laptop, I think we could handle uh, doing it from there. We'll see. So I'll try to set that up. Uh, probably nothing Thursday. I will be traveling that day. Um, so we'll, we should know more about bowl practice stuff. We'll, we'll have some information then next week. Plus we'll be able to maybe recap the, uh, signing some day. of the signing day stuff. So probably a road version of tunnel vision next week. We could, uh, remotely bring in Keely and shotgun. I think that might be kind of fun. Really? We remotely bring in you, right? Not us. Unless you wanted to do it from here, then we could do that we could too. We probably do that. I yeah. think that might be easier. But yeah, we'll usually see. I That's, set stuff we'll up. But yeah, later. we'll figure that out. Yeah. But alrighty, Gerard, thanks so much for coming on. Thank Always you for a having pleasure. me. Ke this is this was Keely's idea, obviously. Was it? Yeah. She oh. said, "Are we bringing Gerard in for a <laughs> recruiting something?" Ryan's been like he's keeping me in. Like I, I have to beg him to do a recruiting podcast anymore. Well, I have to do all the podcasts. Like, I, I want. That's you to what do you do. Them. That is your job. Okay. You are a podcast guy. That's this. What you, yes. you have a studio here. 
I true, do. true. Uh, yeah, but I, I reeled you in from the IE, Gerard. So thank you so and, much. And, and yeah, like, thanks for coming out. I thought Keely wasn't going to show up today. I was like, oh, yeah, she's it's volunteered like, me for the live show. And it's like a two-hour drive for him. Yeah, so, it, but, well, I was in Ranch Cucamonga today doing a camp. The uh, Get Your Stars Up camp run by Armand Hawkins, our buddy, who's who started a sort of a, 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 a scouting service of sort that he's doing. It's called Hawkeye. And so he had me, Greg Biggins, uh, Brandon Huffman, and Adam Gorney from Rivals. Uh, there, so we spoke to the kids and got a few interviews. Checked out some 2022 kids, and um, you know, just you know, hanging out. It's it's before Christmas, and we're already doing camps for 2021 and 2022. <laughs> just to overlap, it's becoming like basketball. Just, yeah, you know, classes. It's always happening. Crazy, crazy times. But Jorah, thank you so much. Uh, people want me to tell you that they appreciated you coming on the show. So there you thank have you. it. I appreciate all of you guys. I hope you have happy holidays. And, uh, you know, I know there was a little bit of coal in your stocking this year, but uh, hopefully, hopefully there's some good news coming down the pike here in the next few days for USC. Yeah. Yep. Yep. Alrighty. That's going to wrap it up. That's Ryan. That's Gerard. I'm Keely. We'll see y'all next time. Uh, and happy holidays. Happy holidays, Bye. everybody. Paramount Plus and the National Park Foundation present A Mountain of Zen. Are you still listening? Good. Take a deep breath. You needed a break. This Earth Week, you can live stream seven national parks for seven days on Paramount+. Plus. So, yes, you can literally stream a stream. Paramount+, Plus, official streaming partner of the National Park Foundation.